Hello, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 220, Raising the Evil Dead. A quick note about the episode, we do have spoilers for Evil Dead Rise. We do mention this before we begin, and the entire episode talks about the Evil Dead movies from Evil Dead 1 all the way through to the current film, and including Ash versus the Evil Dead, in some element of detail, and there are spoilers, so beware. Enjoy the episode. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick, quick. Hi there, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, a Velocipastor, and here at Horror Movie Podcast, or I guess you can say it's HMP 2.0 at this point, we have a whole new round of hosts who you were introduced to last time, and fortunately, they are all dead serious about horror. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to step away in a minute because my lovely wife decided to bring a virus home to me. But you're in capable hands tonight for what promises to be a great episode on largely all things Evil Dead. So joining me first, and he'll be steering the conversation, is the fearsome film critic from outside of Baltimore, Maryland, where it is rumored that Edgar Allan Poe's ghost still walks the streets. How are you tonight, Nathan? I'm doing awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Matt, you sure it's just a virus? Nobody read out of a book or played a tape or anything? <laughs> you know, I haven't been in my basement for a few days, so maybe. Mm. But, There's a lot of things that could be down there. So there, yeah, know, yeah, stay yeah, out yeah, of the fruit cellar. That is true. That is true. And also joining us from all the way out in Seattle, Washington, is the man who we all know, the silky smooth voice known as Vicious Victor Rodriguez until the last episode when he was so dubbed by the podfather, Vicious Victor Hellcat Rodriguez. How are you, Victor? <laughs> I'm doing good. It won't be the first time that I've been lumped in with my familiar, so. <laughs> I don't know about Hellcat. It feels like I need a safe word when talking to Victor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and last but certainly not least is the horror historian from Columbus, Ohio, Trey Whetstone. Trey, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Matt, and I've been in enough southern Ohio basements to tell you to probably not go back down there tonight. Mm. Oh, I don't think I want to know those stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's its own film, I think. That's, I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. But, well, guys, I'm going to turn it over to you as you talk about The Evil Dead and and the new movie, I guess. The, I guess did you all see The Evil Dead Rises? Yep. Yeah. All right. Sure did. So I have not had an opportunity. I was going to go. I was planning on going with a buddy today, but then I did not think 
he would want me coughing all over him and and all that kind of fun stuff. So I decided to keep my germs at home and uh, let you guys take it from there. All I'll say, Matt, is when you do get to see it, keep your your ears and your eyes peeled for you know all the little the little bits. And you know, honestly, if you if your buddy's going to Sam Raimi movie, he probably shouldn't even be surprised if you vomit on him, you know, in the middle. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, he and I had one of the best theater experiences ever. We went to see together. He is my wife hates horror movies, so I want to go see a horror movie in the theater. She always her code is, well, that's a gym movie. That's my buddy Jim. <laughs> that's not I'm not going with you. That's a gym movie. And so Jim and I will go and we went to see Strangers Pray at Night. And um and, and I I really like Strangers. I think Pray it's at an night. underrated movie. I, yeah. I think it's a yeah, lot of fun. Good. And so we were sitting up front, and if you remember, not to give away any spoilers, the tunnel scene. Mm, yes. Um, a kid in front of us, probably 15, 16 years old, big tub of popcorn. He threw it in the air <laughs> and ran out of the theater and didn't return. Please tell me the bucket ended up on someone's head, you know, like. Oh, just, just missed somebody by an inch. It went into the aisle, but. That there was a little bit of uh, LeBron James kind of stuff flying in the air. So, um, <laughs> That's but, awesome. Yeah, but my buddy Jimmy, yeah, he probably won't be. He won't be faced. So, all right, guys, Nathan, Victor, Trey, you guys take it from there and have a great conversation. You guys listening are gonna love it. Feel better, Velocipaster. We'll talk take to you care. later. Yeah, yep. thank you. Okay, so I'm. Uh, I know with you guys, I'm really excited about this and. Uh, we'll start here in a moment. We will keep, I think, Victor and Trey, I don't know how you feel. I think that maybe general spoilers might be okay for the first couple of films. But what we're mm-hmm. going to do tonight, we are going to talk sort of in detail. This will be similar to maybe the Versus episodes that used to be on HMP. The difference is, I think, we're not necessarily going to pit these movies against each other. But we want to look at them and sort of how they do things differently. In a certain sense, we were talking about it, it's kind of like every Evil Dead movie is almost a remake because of due to rights issues in the early going. And then, uh, you know, so every time Evil Dead 2 and then Army of Darkness sort of replay the events of the first film uh, in different in different scenarios. And then Evil Dead, the remake, well, we could talk about that because as I'm listening to the commentaries, there's some interesting thoughts on that. So in some ways they could all be interconnected and then in some ways they are almost all standalone. So I think that's really mm-hmm. interesting. But for tonight, our primary comparison is going to be between the 1981 Evil Dead, Sam Raimi Evil Dead, uh, the 2013 Fede Alvarez Evil Dead, and then uh, 2023's Lee Cronin's Evil Dead Rise, which, again, like Matt said, we all three just saw it, saw it at the theaters this weekend. And uh, we're going to start in a moment. Victor's going to open with talking about introducing Evil Dead 81, because Victor is the only one of the three of us who saw that movie, I'm guessing, first run in the theater. Is that right, Victor? Yeah, first run, that 1981. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, there were two two movies that a new line I think released that year, and they were both unrated. Um, Evil Dead was one of them, and Extro was the other one, and I saw them both. Mm. Well, well, good on Evil Dead. Extro's its own podcast, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> that, what a weird movie that is. Um, not, not, I, I'm, I don't. It's not as good as Evil Dead. <laughs> I think that's probably safe no. to say. That's <laughs> has some weird. Has some moments that are just about as weird as the weirdest Sam Raimi. But 
Um, that's that is so cool. And then I'll be uh, introducing Evil Dead 2013, which I did see uh, opening night at the theater. And then uh, Trey will I believe believe Trey you said I'm the youngest, so I'll take Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we will. I will mention before. Each when we get into real spoiler territory in any of the films, I'll mention it. But I will put a very we'll put a very specific barrier between getting to Evil Dead twenty thirteen, and then when we get to Evil Dead Rise, we'll talk in general, and we'll have a barrier there between any spoilers for uh, really both of those films in case you haven't haven't seen them. So Evil Dead one, we'll we'll probably keep it kind of loose and just mention okay, let's let's talk about you know the ending, but and then we are going to have a brief moment. Uh, guys, do you want to do it chronologically or do it at the end where we talk about what we've sort of dubbed the Ash Chronicles, which is Evil Dead 2 kind of uh, through the rest. But that's going to be a little bit more minor. Uh, we're just going to sort of touch upon it. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So let's let's get started with this. And, Victor, I, at this point, I will kind of turn it over to you because I'm very, very curious to hear what your experience was like. And I think what we can all do is talk about what our experiences were seeing this movie for the first time because... Evil Dead was not the first of the series that I that I did see, so I'm very interested to see you coming in right at the start of this for a movie that I believe, uh, you know, I remember the blurb Stephen King uh, kind of calling. I mean, these days Stephen King calls everything the best of the year, but <laughs> in 1981 that seemed to be a big deal that Stephen King's blurb was right there, like sort of on the front cover on the posters. Yeah, no, King got behind it, and uh, and rightly so. Uh, but um, yeah, I, th- I think his endorsement was a big reason why they got the green light for Evil Dead 2, but we can talk about that later. Um, but yeah, Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, I should That's say. That's a good point, a very good point, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. As opposed to Evil Dead from 2013. Um, the Evil Dead came out in 1981, I believe... Uh, Sam Raimi started directing it in the late 70s. <laughs> That's crazy because he had been basically a teenager. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, yeah, we probably should mention that, right? Like uh, any of you listening to this that are film students that are looking for inspiration, Sam Raimi directed this at, yeah, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, and it is incredible for for someone of that age to produce and direct something like this um it's really good like it, it's probably it probably would have been my favorite movie that came out that year um it's incredible the, the the talent of uh sam and the uh sort of giddy excitement of of him and uh and Bruce Campbell and the other actors is readily apparent. But the, yeah, the, the summary, you know, the premise is uh, five Michigan State University students spend a weekend at a cabin in, uh, uh, in the South. And um, uh, the cabin, uh, first clue that things are going to be a little weird is the cabin's quite a bit larger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> Um, like a TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but um, but in any case, uh, they kind of settle into the cabin. Uh, just a few, there's like, like some light exposition between the characters, so you know who's who. It's, uh, you know, Ashley and Ashley's sister and uh, Scotty and Cheryl. <laughs> and um, 
they're uh, they they come across a uh, an old reel to reel tape that um, they decide to play. Uh, although the uh, the sensitive the sensitive woman uh, of the group cautions them against that. Hey, you know, turn that off. That's bugging me. Uh, and I notice in a couple of these movies they have that, like the sensitive character sort of understands that you know these things maybe shouldn't be played. Uh, but you know, like like in real life, most of the other characters are like, oh come on, you know, this is uh, this is ghost story stuff. Um, but uh, of course, silliness ensues. Um, but um, but yeah, there's a there's a huge to do that goes on in the cabin um you can uh, you can kind of tell that the at least the male actors uh were also doubling as production assistants because uh, if you just look at their hands <laughs> during, the, during the film it's obvious that they've been um you know messing around with wood, wood and you know uh all kinds of uh all kinds of set stuff but um but in any case this this movie moves it moves quickly it doesn't have the wacky, over-the-top sense of humor that the later Evil Dead films, at least the next two movies, have. Um, but it's uh, it is a well-paced horror movie that gives gives its characters time to breathe in between sort of supernatural encounters, uh, and um, it it escalates into pure mayhem um, soon enough. But uh, yeah, there's there's some really cool sort of st- visual uh, visual and audio auditory storytelling with the with uh, one of the characters Scotty uh saying after the uh the sensitive character gets freaked out it lives in the cellar um but little does Scotty know <laughs> he is 100% correct uh, <laughs> but yeah uh let's see some cool oh, music by Joe LaDuca who went on to you know, composed all the music for Evil Dead 2, uh, a, a bunch of the music for Army of Darkness. And of course, he composed uh, all the episodes, as far as I know, for uh, Xena, the Warrior Princess and Hercules, the Legendary Journeys. Now, that's a that's a lot of music. Um, <laughs> that is yeah. a lot of music. And he really gets pretty serious in this. It's funny when the music suddenly kicks in after a lot of silence and it's just full bore, you know, big drama like almost like an old radio play when 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 they uh after they hear the thing in the cellar and they all walk to, to the cellar door that's that's busted up and it's just like full-blown gothic like uh cacophony yeah it, it's it sounded like joe scored it with um it, it sounds like he maybe he's a violinist cuz there there's definitely a live violin um but everything else appears to be synthetic i might have to listen to the soundtrack on its own to really be able to tell what's what, but uh, it works. It's it's it never distracts. From, That's a good from point because you're right. It starts very synthy, and then suddenly it's you're like, oh wait, but there's some there's some classical beats in here too. Yes, and uh, and a ragtime number that they use. I think I think at least once, maybe twice in in the movie. But uh, but anyway, and there, there's also a really cool uh, thing that I wanted to point out. In the basement, uh, the characters come across a uh, Hills Have Eyes poster. Yeah, it's like ripped in half. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is something I want to see in movies again, like, you know, beefs between uh, <laughs> between directors. <laughs> now, the, the, the story, the, this is like um, a thing between, like that Wes Craven, I believe, started on in the Hills Have Eyes, where there was a torn Jaws poster <laughs> In that movie, in, in other words, like he's saying, "Hey, my movie's scarier than Jaws," you know. 
Um, but uh, and I guess uh, Ramy was kind of like, okay, let's you know, let's get it, get into it with uh, with Wes and and send the message that our movie is scarier than Hills Have Eyes. And, and knowing um, Ramy, he just did it just to purely troll, like just to troll. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. And it does go back and forth like a Nightmare on Elm Street, I think has uh, some Evil Dead footage in it and um and there was also uh, some uh, some beef going back between Raimi and Don Coscarelli because uh, there's a Sam Raimi <laughs> tombstone in Phantasm 2. Awesome. <laughs> I love the irony that Wes Craven can use footage from Evil Dead 1, but Sam Raimi couldn't use any footage from Evil Dead 1 <laughs> in uh, Evil Dead right. 2. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all in the New Line family, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's, um, gosh, how can I, how can I put this? Uh, the, the, the writing is excellent. Um, there are a lot of Lovecraftian references, like, uh, the, the team that's sent in to discover the notes of the old team that's in there. Um, the uh, obviously what will later d- come to be known as the Necronomicon, which I, I think in this movie they just call it the Naturum de Monto. Um, an evil book, a blasphemous book that should should not and uh, and is read um, to the detriment of its readers and listeners. But um, but in any case. Uh, yeah, there's a particularly, I guess, um, yeah, there's a trigger trigger warning for rape. Um, there's a, a very extended scene in the woods uh, that involves one of the characters that you might want to skip over if that's a sensitive subject. Um, and um, there's quite a few painful injuries, um, some of them real. <laughs> uh, I don't know what what the deal is what but a, a lot of low budget movies had uh, absolutely miserable shoots uh yet they come across as very giddy uh in when you w- watch it at, at home as a, as long <laughs> as the a, pencil and the like yeah in the in the calf or whatever is not real i'm good in the heel <laughs> no, yeah in the heel. the heel yeah i guess it's the heel right well yeah, i guess i don't know yeah <laughs> Remy's so good at at like finding everyday things uh that you know kids in school think about like oh you know i remember being in school and going oh you, you know don't don't jab yourself with your pencil because you might get lead poisoning you know it, it, so it's just oh, that, oh yeah and like that forgot about that i stabbed <laughs> yeah. myself with a pencil and to this day i have a piece of I, it probably graphite not, not lead so that's why i didn't gain superpowers or instantly die it was right. just graphite <laughs> but i can still see it to this day in the bottom of my hand right right um but yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't really want to go over the details of the movie because I'm sure everybody listening to this has has either seen it or has listened to a podcast on it by now. But uh, maybe in our conversation about it, we can uh, talk about some favorite details. Um, so what but, was it uh, like yeah. seeing this at the theater, uh, Victor? Did you see it like opening night or opening weekend? No, um, no, I would have been in junior high or high school then, so I probably saw it on the weekend in the daytime, and um, it was a packed house, and uh, it was a lively crowd, and um, yeah, I think um, if uh, Ramey had been there, he would have been uh, very happy with the with the audience's reaction. I, it it is it is very scary uh, to <laughs> to watch. It sounds amazing, by the way, the like the sound effects are unusual and really cool 
So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Ramey and Bruce Campbell uh, went into post for quite a long time after the shoot uh, to <laughs> to do it. Uh, but it sounds great. So That's awesome. And Trey, what was your like first experience with this movie? Because it would have been on video or, or even DVD, I imagine. Yeah, I wasn't even alive for the sequel. So, um, <laughs> so with this one... And I don't, I know you've watched these out of order. I won't, I'll let you get into that, Nathan. But I don't know if I've ever seen um, a sequel before, ever since, you know, since, and probably in my like teenage life forward, I've usually seen the first one because of when I'm going back to horror movies. And that's what a lot of this was for me is going back to horror movies and kind of catching up on classics because, you know, I didn't really start until my teenage years. Um, was mostly going like, Let's watch Evil Dead, The Evil Dead. Let's watch Evil Dead Two. Let's watch Army of Darkness. After that, so I'm assuming it would be in that cluster of when I started watching, you know, things like Deep Red and Suspiria and all that. Um, you know, uh, Hellraiser, all that. All that was kind of in the middle, probably in the mid, uh, probably the 2010s, early 2010s is when I started that. So it would have been in that cluster. I would spend weekends. I know I've told this story on other shows, but would spend weekends just. Uh, cramming in, you know, nine, ten horror movies when I didn't have anything going on and was trying to catch up. So I'm assuming it was in that. I don't specifically remember the first time I watched it, but I know it would have been around there. I know those were, that and Evil Dead 2 were two of the first Blu-rays that I got. So um, would have probably been around that time. Yeah, and I definitely saw these out of order because I remember, I was vaguely aware of, I was very young, obviously, when Evil Dead 1 came out, and then Evil Dead 2, I was still, like, in elementary school, but I was starting to watch horror at that point, and I remember, and, and Victor, I don't know if you remember these, but television sometimes would have, like, on, on network television, they'd have, like, these horror awards or something, and they I remember them playing clips, and they would have, like, you know, people like uh, Robert Englund would come on and things like that and would be presenters, and I, for the life of me, can't remember what this was called, I'll have to look it up online, but... Uh, they would show clips from the movies, and lots of times it would be movies that, uh, and I remember specifically, like, when one of these was airing, they actually had trailers for Pumpkinhead, so that must have been, like, 88 or something like that, oh, yeah. and, uh, which means that Evil Dead would have been, like, Evil Dead 2 would have just been out, and I remember them playing clips from Evil Dead 2 and being completely, like, flummoxed because I'm watching, like, what's the first, like, extreme horror, and then suddenly I'm watching Three Stooge-like stuff, and I'm like, what is, what is happening? This is insane. Yeah. <laughs> but the video store where we uh, rented from for most of the time in the late 80s, uh, and I eventually ended up working at, had one copy each of Evil Dead 1 Evil Dead 2, and in some kind of, like, cruel joke, someone had rented them probably shortly after they had become available and never returned them. And so, and the only reason I know this is because, you know, they kind of just, they, they had the video cases sitting up in the back, you know, you could see all the videos where they would pull them right, like behind the, the cash, the, the cash register. And so you could see the movies that were never even returned. And there's Evil Dead 1 with the skull face, or Evil Dead 2 with the skull face looking out at me, sitting up there in the corner where it's never going to come off the shelf. <laughs> so mm. they didn't actually like <laughs> buy new copies or remove it. So they just sat there and then. Uh, when Army of Darkness came out, I saw that trailer. And I was like, "This looks crazy," and we didn't really go to the movies much. But then my dad and I found this uh, like dollar theater, if you will, you know, like the second run movies, and we went there and saw Army of Darkness, and we're like, 
amazed by it, just how much fun it was. And of course, it's such a very different movie. And then realizing, okay, it's linked to these Evil Dead movies. And then uh, sci-fi had just become a thing. And it was back when it was still sci-fi with an SCI, not an SY. And they were playing Evil Dead like one Saturday afternoon. And my dad went, let's sit down and watch this. And it was so fundamentally different <laughs> from, yeah. obviously, from Army of Darkness, which we'll talk yeah. about. But it's there's something so... If the first thought is, wow, this is pretty cheap and pretty, you know, uh, independent... And then, but it doesn't matter. Like, in fact, it somehow makes it creepier. And it does. We can yeah. get into it more, but everything you just said is accurate, Victor. It's so well put together and it creates such an ambiance that I've seen movies. And if, you know, I've seen movies three times this budget, seven, probably more like 10 times this budget, not be half as effective or half as atmospheric. And you can see how considered the shots are. I mean, Ramey, right from the beginning, you get that camera. Like, I forgot about that just rewatching it the other day on 4K. And that's a weird experience, by the way. Watching Evil Dead in 4K <laughs> or The Evil mm. Dead in 4K uh, is weird. It's almost like watching like someone perform a stage play, like a really yeah. disgusting, gory stage right. play. But I think it amplifies what you said is like the writing, though, the dialogue, though sparse, is serviceable and effective and things like that and it creates this weird sense that you're right when he goes the fact that it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside i mean the outside it looks like barely a shack like i forgot about that because it looks kind of more imposing when you get the remake and everything but i'm like oh that's that's kind of just a it's a shack but inside it has this weird avant-garde like it's almost german expressionist and how it sort of like bends <laughs> like it bends at the sides yeah and when you when they're going across the when you pan across the windows and you see everybody's like wait is the house a pentagon like what just, what just happened i like, know as you're moving around it has which i think is great because it puts you in like the world of a dream like it feels very surreal but you yeah, know, it's we, it's a it's uncanny. I yeah. I think that that I, I I believe it's intentional. Like I think that that because they kept the cabin smaller than the inside in all of the incarnations of the movie. So I have to believe it, it was either intentional or <laughs> retroactive fixing. Yeah, and when you hear their you hear their uh, commentary, you realize a lot of things were just necessity. Like they were like, we had to do this, but then we realized it was cool. But you get that monster can, that thing in the woods kind of coming up right from the get-go. And that's like the first thing. And you have that shot. And it's so it's so cool uh, that you have this thing stalking them right from the beginning. Because the thought is, okay, we read the book and that's what happens. But that invisible presence, and I'd love to do uh, an episode eventually on just like invisible menace. You know, like things... From the Invisible Man on, like when you have a creature, you're not going to show. And I know eventually we get to see the possessed, but uh, it's so forceful and it's so effective here. Probably one of the best uses of the monster cam like ever. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And it's just, I think it's pretty much like an synonymous with the Evil Dead. Is you're always moving through the woods. You're always getting those angles. And I think it adds a lot to the movie without really costing much or having to do much to get the good shots, I think. Right, right. Yeah, you know, you, could, you just you just got to put this in perspective because 1981, uh, like, I mean, if they started shooting this in 79, there was very little to inspire them. Uh, I mean, you got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist, uh, and I think the 
the the print of those movies is pretty evident in the evil dead but the rest is is all them like it's it's all Raimi and what came up what what everybody came up with the day of the shoot <laughs> yeah and that spontaneity is what makes it so freaky um because even the planned gore shots are just so wild and like i mentioned like oh yeah, she got stabbed in the heel, but she kind of gets stabbed in the calf too because he the pencil goes up and down and it's like yeah. jabbing in and out <laughs> and it's moving around and now it's like swirling like it's, you know, uh, cooking up a broth. It's like, what is going on with that pencil? And then it's like broken off at one point and then it goes back in to, to somebody else and it's just madness. Like, I, I think everyone sort of remembers Evil Dead 2 as being the one that like upped the gore, but in a in a sense it's more palatable because it's so over the top, right? It, yeah. Evil Dead 2, it becomes comical and absurd. And, uh, for example, I've showed my kids Evil Dead 2, but not Evil Dead 1. And, in fact, um, my daughter who was walking through saw the ankle thing and was like, do-do-do-do-do, and, like, picked up speed and, like, got out of there quick. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the thing is, is, like, it kind of goes to the point you're talking about, Nathan, is there's no rhyme or reason to what kind of creates deadites in this thing it's just when it decides to possess someone when it decides to take over what causes that there's no rules in this thing it's just kind of crazy and off the wall but yet this one maintains that more serious tone but you still get i mean having a pencil jabbed through (laughs) your heel is pretty painful but in a way it's almost comical to an extent i think yeah it's uh they're they're definitely they're they're definitely jokers like they're you can tell that they they probably pulled a lot of practical jokes on each other um the the sense of humor even through the horror is apparent in the first movie and and just like you said nathan second movie it's front and center like it's basically a comedy an insanely gory comedy um but um but yeah uh yeah, the, the other thing I, I guess I wanted to mention about The Evil Dead was, uh, I, I don't know what this is called, but there is a type of horror that's like the unwitting troublemaker um, where, you know, by no intent, you know, a person just sees something, reads something that they shouldn't and unleashes hell on <laughs> on him and his friends. And uh, and that's the whole the whole pinning of, of this uh, movie rests on that. So... Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think that's a good point about the humor because pe- lots of people don't remember uh, there being that much humor in the first one, and there's not. And in fact, it's funny when I know people that kind of came to Evil Dead through Army of Darkness or through like Evil Dead Two. And in fact, it was funny we were uh, we, we were in a podcast with someone wasn't a horror podcast, and the guy was talking about being such a big fan of Army of Darkness and. And Evil Dead 2, and then he was like, the remake, isn't the remake, like, super serious? Like, that's such a weird thing. And everyone was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Go back yeah. and and rent Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, and then, and then realize and put this in context. But I do think that there is a lot of weird humor, down to even that, like, ragtime music that plays, you know, sort of at the end. And <laughs> and, he, and and honestly, and I, I me personally, I will say this, that the... the the and the rape scene that that Victor is referring to is oddly enough uh, done by a tree, uh, and that is a very weird scene. And for me personally, uh, when I first saw The Evil Dead and and still to this day, I think that's maybe a little bit over. Like 
it kind of doesn't mesh with... I know they've taken that motif in some of the other films. And in Evil Dead 2, he kind of, like, in a sense, almost fixes it where he doesn't go that mm-hmm. far. And right. I think it being this kind of still scary but gooey horror movie, that that tree molestation is just, like, a little over the line for me. Like, it doesn't seem like it fits as well into the rest of the movie. And they don't really address it. They're like, oh, you got attacked in the woods. And she says, like, nothing at all right. about it. Um, right. Yeah, and so it's, pretty, it's so it's weird. Pretty seri- yeah, it's it's pretty serious, uh, and it 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 is an odd fit with the rest of the movie. Um, and uh, you know, if you're 20 years old and you're making a movie, not everything's going to be perfect. No, and and I think almost at the time it's like, let's do this weird gag where the tree like you know gropes her or whatever, and yet it doesn't it doesn't come off like the dark humor there. It, I don't know that it's dark humor, but it's a, it's just a weird fit, but. Uh, everything else is so intensely surreal. The shots are the last thing I want to talk about. Like the lighting, like when they go into, how many times have we seen someone walk into a basement, right? And, the, and even the newer films, they get away with it by, they've got the night vision on or something, right? So you see, like, uh, I love Silence of the Lambs, but they get the night vision in the cellar. But other movies, they go into the cellar and it's lit by like, what's lighting the light in the cellar? Why can I see everything? that's in the cellar but this movie is not like that like when he goes down into that cellar when ash goes down after his buddy has gone down there it's like there's just small pockets of light like it's the way it would look if you were legitimately in like a cellar like that and it makes it so creepy and then when he they discover the bridge in this film it's like again it's that weird like stage lighting where there's one light sort of illuminating ash who's looking at which you, I guess they didn't have the budget to show you the fully dilapidated bridge the way they do in the sequel, but right. it makes it so much creepier. It's just this, like, it looks like, no, it's like noir imagery mixed with comic book imagery, where it's just like this single shot, and you get, or it's from high up, or when he goes to strap her in, uh, you know, there's the, the hint that we're going to see the chainsaw, but it doesn't quite come to fruition. Those sequences are really weird. Yeah. Um Yep. Uh, you know, uh, one, the, the, right. The, the bridge, the bridge suddenly out is a, more of a reaction shot of the, of the actors, which is, that's pretty much one of the hardest things you can do as an actor is just react to something, um, rather than emoting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, I, it's, it's weird because it's, it's been a, a bit jumbled in my, in my head because since I've seen Evil Dead 2 probably m- more times than the Evil Dead, uh, I know that that famous scene in that movie of the bridge being out with the like the uh, the eye beams all curled up like a hand, like claws. Yes, <laughs> I just yeah. watched it today, Victor. So that's fresh in my mind. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, before I forget, I just wanted to mention that that music at the end. Yeah, that's sort of a clue, right? Like you said, Nathan, that um, that you know, it's sort of meant to be jokey a bit like uh you know it's kind of this this happy ragtime music but then the music kind of starts slowing down and peters out and uh listening to the the bruce campbell commentary which is on the the dvd and the blu-ray um he was like yeah he's like sam wanted to wanted joe laduca to do that because the message is everything dies in this movie <laughs> even that piece last piece of music <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's a bit of comedy too in like the when like when they go to kill the deadites, like they're just in such a fury that they're smashing their friends to pieces, like into the smallest pieces they can. Like there's a point when <laughs> he bashes his girlfriend, not Ash, but the other guy, he bashes his girlfriend into hunks like all over the floor. And 
you know, the one thing I'll say about this, and I and, and you can see how some of these other films try to course correct or do something slightly different, that it's not entirely clear until there's a line later that Cheryl is Ash's like sister, like yeah, and his relate. I mean, he he's the guy that gets her, takes her in the car, and tries to take her away, but there's just like. There seems to be not a lack of care, but you know he's clearly seems to be more concerned about Linda. That, that like when she, his sister's locked in the down in the like cellar, and this is a horrible <laughs> thing. And the, and one of the friends is like her eyes, look at her eyes, and she's just like, yeah. and he's like tucking tucking Linda into bed to make sure she's okay. Well, well, that's the weird thing is because there's moments like that. Um, there's moments when. I think Linda's looking through something and he's like staring off at something else in the distance. And then there's, there's later on, then he shows like caring so much because the other guy's getting ready to like go after Shelly. And he's like, well, these are our friends. <laughs> Ash is sitting there. So yeah, Ash is kind of all over the place in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a line I think that Scotty says to Ash where, you know, they're like the, 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 the trip is obviously, over it's no fun and it, like the survivors are trying to figure out like when they should bolt and uh scotty turns to ash and says you know linda's your girlfriend you take care of her you know yeah yeah he's like i'm gonna leave her he just straight up says i'm gonna leave her she's your girlfriend like wow Solidarity. i like the yeah i like the funny moments of humanity in this though because i've always loved that like car ride at the beginning um, and the different things, and Linda's in the back, and like at, whatever Ash is saying, she's like, "No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." And there's just little moments like that too, where the where the actors are just allowed to. I don't know. I don't know if there was a script for this movie at all, but it seems like they're doing. They feel very natural when they're saying these things, but yeah, and they're, yeah, they're kind of just being kids, which is what's nice about it. Like there is. Yeah. The other films, and, and we'll talk about that, they kind of try to develop a, a deeper dramatic bent, which is fine. But one of the charms of this movie is it's just these kids out there um, having a good time. And, and, and their one, like, their one sin, really, is something that they probably, you know, it's just curiosity. <laughs> they pressed the wrong button on the wrong tape player. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to ask um, you two specifically, because I know this time and probably the time I watched it prior... Does um does Linda's makeup do it for you in this? Does that scare you? Does I think it's supposed to come off as like surreal and kind of unsettling, but so I don't know if it's getting to me in that way. But it's like when I watch that, I'm like, oh man, I I can't look at her one more second. Yeah, um, there there are some weird moments. Like, uh, is is Linda the one that's like, we're gonna get yes you. yes yeah, that like weird like <laughs> almost like clown makeup almost. Yeah, clown makeup and and sort of the white white on white eyes. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty creepy, um, and it, it's and it really. I think one of the things that Raimi sort of glommed onto in this movie is is doing that uh, counterpoint, like you know the nursery rhyme teasing in combination with like insane violence and uh, you know ov- obvious real evil. Like it, it's just weird it, it, to to have both of those things uh, come at you at the same time. And I think it's honestly it's in her performance a bit too, where like she's been so she's been the cheerful sort of. Uh, bubbly one like you said like yeah like at the beginning and she's so she's so amiable and now she's like even more so but she's also possessed by a demon and she's just chanting there and moving the head back i agree there's something so simply 
creepy about that image that honestly, and I'm maybe tipping my hand a little bit, that I don't think I'd seen a creepier deadite in the Evil Dead movies until we got to Evil Dead Rise, which we'll talk about. But, like, in some ways, like, even though they tried to up the ante, that simplicity of that image, and partially, I think, is because because I like the the Cheryl makeup a lot less because at some point she just looks oh. like a bag oh, yeah. filled with oatmeal or something. <laughs> looks like a mask. It just yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> it's the human she the, it's the they've retained so much of her humanity in the in the uh, Linda makeup that's what makes it creepy. Yeah. But um so how about ratings on this one guys if if we want to throw those out. Well, um like we all said it's not perfect. There's even there's one shot with dialogue in it that's totally out of focus. Yes. Um, so I can't give it a 10. <laughs> but, uh, man, considering how young they were when they made this, how much effort it took to produce and make, I mean, I have to give it a 9.5. Yeah, I'm high up there, too. I'm a 9 on it. And it's like you said, it isn't perfect. But in its simplicity and even in some of its flaws, it's more interesting than a lot of polished horror movies. And... Uh, one recommendation I would make, and I, I'll, I'll try to get Matt to put this in show notes. Uh, Victor, you found the 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 uh, uh, commentary we've been talking about sort of isolated and on like on like a YouTube uh, track, I believe, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. And it, that is a very interesting commentary because you really get a lot of in depth of Ramy and Taffert and Campbell, I believe all talking about what it was like to make that movie. And at one point, Ramey, and I don't remember all the details, but Ramey talked about sleeping up on the hill in the cemetery because he was worried about, like, bootleggers or moonshiners coming through and would, like, just camp out in that cabin. And and, and Campbell saying it was so cold, they had to keep the heaters running, but they were worried about getting asphyxiated. Yeah, you can you can see their, their breath in, yes. in a few scenes, yeah. And and you, you can tell that it's not supposed to be cold because they're not dressed very warmly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's wild if you if you are interested in that like gorilla sort of filmmaking when you're young and you're just going to do it and we got to get it done no matter the cost. Like the fact that cemetery in the film is the one that Ramy was just sleeping in up in a bag unprotected up on the hill because he was afraid to sleep in the cabin is insane. Mm. Wow. So how about you, Trey? Yeah, I'm with you, Nathan. I'm a nine on this. I think there are flaws, but it's definitely, um, if nothing else, it's creative and it's inventive. And I think, you know, I don't think there's anything quite like it out there. Um, I do want to throw out really quick. You, uh, you at least, Nathan, know that I follow the box office quite a bit. My favorite little thing on this movie is you look it up and, you know, it says budget of 375000 And then when you Google the box office for this, it'll say the return was either 2.7 million or 29.7 million. <laughs> and depending, apparently some sites say it made 27 million internationally and some just stick to that domestic 2.7 million. So I think that's funny. You never usually see an or, and especially one that far off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a classic and I do love this movie. So um, yeah, I'm in a nine. Yeah, if there's any possibility that anyone's sitting out there and hasn't actually seen this film, or you know it by reputation, or maybe you've seen Evil Dead 2 or some of the others, uh, it is absolutely worth seeing this one, because it, particularly if you're just interested in filmmaking, uh, because the ingenuity that goes into it is so impressive. And it's got an ambiance that has never been 
replicated it, it, the movies each movie chooses to do something different and so this movie's ambiance is very different from the others yeah um yeah. there's there's a, you could there's a lot of uh like dutch angles that he uses in this movie mm-hmm. like you can tell yeah. he's a big film noir fan and um gosh i don't know there's so there's there's this one shot that's almost like i would say like did the cohen brothers shoot this because it's like it starts out with <laughs> It's like the cut. There's a cut, and then you just see the back of Bruce Campbell's head upside down. Yes, and yes. And then the camera moves all the way around the head to his face that's right side up. There's no reason for that shot except that it's cool and it's it's sort of an artsy thing to do, uh, and it, it just sort of leaves you off balance like why did you just show me that you know right (laughs) alvarez actually mentions that when he's talking on the commentary for the remake which we'll talk about in a little bit talks about that specific shot that made him realize like how important it was to sort of mix up the angles and the look because that shot like why do it but it it it's part of the ambience it's part of the it's what you know you we sit there and we say well i don't know it just movie just makes you feel strange well it makes you feel strange because it does stuff like that the strange stuff. Two two shots I just want to mention. I just thought about your we talk. Victor, to me, and this is weird given all the stuff that happens in that film, but to me, the creepiest moment is just that whatever that is, that it, it's like a swing with no seat, that rocking thing that's just banging against the door. Yeah. As they pull up to the cabin, and you're like, what is that? And it's just banging, <laughs> banging, banging. And as soon as he goes to like get the key or whatever, it stops. Yeah, and it's to me. I don't know why that is like one of the creepiest moments. The second moment is that shot where you look up from the cellar and you see all of them ringed around, looking down into the cellar. Oh yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and after he's just said it lives in the cellar, and like, okay, who's looking up out of the cellar? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what's the point of view? But um, yeah, the, the, the two things I noticed watching it this time that I didn't like the last. I think I, I, this might be the third or fourth time I've seen it, but. Um, the when they're driving in and the shapeless force is also sort of motorcycling around on its own um when they almost hit that truck at the beginning uh i think it's the evil force like trying to get control of the car and i i never really it sort of implied that because yeah i i didn't really realize either victor until this last time watching it oh the evil force is like it's trying to influence the world around them right from the very beginning like from the get-go Yeah. So so even before they've read the book, it's, you know, the place is cursed. Um, (laughs) And the other thing I noticed is as they drive up to the cabin, um, I I guess foreshadowing the uh, the the hungry trees, so to speak, um, the uh, you could see that the branches are sort of clinging to the camera lens and there's branches sort of clinging to the axle of the car like they don't want it to to keep going. I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if they just there's just branches everywhere and there's nothing they can do about it. But I am thinking that it was intentional in this one. Like I'm, I'm thinking so too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so uh, what do you guys think? Do you want to go into and just talk about briefly Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness real yeah. quick? Or yeah, um, Evil Dead Two, and this is you know uh, show my hand a little bit. Is is my favorite of the series, honestly, and. Part of that is just, uh, it's the humor, but it's also the humor mixed with an attempt to still make a horror film. And I think the, I think maybe one of the greatest uh, 
things that could have happened to Raimi was that setback of, okay, you can't use the footage from the previous film, so you have to film it again. Because what he does there, he does take that opportunity to not just streamline it. So now you just have Ash and Linda at the cabin, which for the for what, where they go with Evil Dead to makes sense. But right from the beginning, it's like he's satirizing. He's like playing airplane with his own movie. You know, <laughs> he's kind of Zucker brothering his own film. Uh, but it's what's genius is he'll about Raimi. I think is he'll do the horror moment, and he won't. It's not like he'll cram the whole thing with jokes. He'll do it right up to the point where you're in, you're sure he's going to continue and he's going to take you home with the horror, and he does, but then he does something completely weird out of left field. It's like suddenly where you thought there was a knife in somebody's hand, there'll be a pickle. Like, that doesn't happen, but you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yes. there's, there's this one shot, and yeah, I'm going to maybe spoil it a little, where... The, the demon that we've seen in the first film, the force in the woods that the, the Kandarian spirit has risen up and it is chasing Ash. And this time it really is like, a, seems like a motorcycle. In fact, I think Raimi said he got, or Campbell said that Raimi hit him with it and like knocked him over. Oh, yeah. uh, and it is chasing him. He's just like been expelled head first through the car and smashed into the tree. Not unlike a, you know, at this point you're thinking he's got to be part deer because he just jumps up and like keeps running. <laughs> And the camera is chasing him back into the house. And so really, this is supposed to be the event that happened right on from the end of Evil Dead. Uh, and so he says, those two shots, it run, he runs into the house and the demonic force, unstoppable, nothing can can prevent it from getting you, chases him into the house and it goes down the corner. And again, now the cabin's really big. It's got all kinds of weird, like, Dr. Caligari-like angles to it. And it's chasing him and it goes around the corner and then it, like turns its head to the side and it turns its head to the other side and it looks forward and it's confused because he's gone and it can't find him. <laughs> he gave it, it seems so befuddled and it just leaves. It's like, it just goes, <laughs> and you see him hiding in the walls. I swear that's got to be one of the greatest shots in any horror movie or comedy I've ever seen. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And that's, that's the scene. And yeah, I, I guess also Evil Dead 2, um, well, I think that Ellen Sandweiss, who plays, I think she plays Cheryl in right. the first movie. Yep. Um, she's quite good, I, I think, in comparison to every, everybody else that, that's there. But um, but Bruce is is obviously, uh, he's got the charisma. I yes, mean, e- even tell. in the first yeah. movie, you can't you can't stop looking at him. And I mean, he's in, in by the time of Evil Dead Two, he's even more handsome, I would say, and uh, it really fuels his transformation from you know sort of you know ash the schmuck that's getting pushed around by the forces of this book to avenging ash you know (laughs) well he's also kind of taking this movie the reins of this movie too because yeah he did have that presence in the first one victor but i feel like he is almost front and center at all times in this movie he's just making it you just can't look away really in this one especially more than the first one but yeah, I mean, and there's a whole sequence in Evil Dead too, right? Where it's just him. It's it's like him doing yeah. all this physical comedy, and it's incredible. Yeah, and I love that sequence. Yep, the physical comedy part is what is so impressive, and it's so you know, this is how uh, I remember. This is a super weird thing. We had seen Army of Darkness, and we saw Evil Dead, and then that's like ninety two, ninety three. And then I remember, and we didn't really watch as much television, so we saw a little bit of like in Living Color. But I remember when Ace Ventura comes out, and my dad's like, "This Jim Carrey guy just steals a stick from Bruce Campbell." (laughs) (laughs) Like he's like, "Bruce did it better." But all that to say that yeah, he's got a real physical 
comedy thing going like really strong in this film. And I know that Raimi, of course, is kind of he's he's harkening back to the Three Stooges for sure, but he's also harkening back to kind of like the Harold Lloyd and you know that silent era, uh, in essence. And like Campbell's kind of got that like the charisma. I in some ways I'm you know. I think that when they tried to put him in leading man roles after this, they kind of forgot that comedy element, you know, uh, they didn't completely forget it, you know, <laughs> even stuff like Briscoe County jr. It's like, they didn't know how to go as full fledged out there as Raimi did with it to kind of, to, to capture, because it's really funny stuff, particularly the hand. When yeah. The hand is possessed <laughs> and it's yeah. attacking him. And it's the facial expressions too. Like when it's like climbing into his mouth and he's like trying to it, just spit it back out. Can you imagine just sitting there trying to do that scene? You're trying to spit your own hand back out. There's essentially trying to rip your tongue out of your mouth or poke your poke you in the eyes. But to me, like the grand the grand scene of all that where it all culminates is when he's in the house and he's he thinks he's killed the hand because it's now on the walls. Like it's off of his body, and it's 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 like running around like a, it's eating mice and stuff, and it's like flipping him off, and like blood is just pouring out of the holes he's fired in the wall. And then everything in the cabin starts to laugh at him. Like the lamp is <laughs> laughing, and the deer is laughing, and then he starts like he's like <laughs> he's like pointing at it, and he's doing squats. He's like doing a little dance with these things, yeah. and they all have distinct voices too. All of the inanimate yes. objects. It's. <laughs> It's right. George Harrison had a, a, a video for a, called, I think it was like, uh, uh, got my mind set on you or something like that. The 80s where everything in the cabin is dancing and singing with him. And like the Bruce Campbell thing is like the demented version of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't seen that video. Man, yeah, it, it, you guys are right. Like Evil Dead 2 has so many ideas packed into every minute. I don't know. On on one hand, it's so dense, full of of really funny, creative ideas that it it's a work of genius. But I think that um, in general, like even starting with the Evil Dead, uh, Sam Raimi's directorial style is ideal if you have a short attention span. Like he really shows you the bare minimum that you need to know to get what's going on in a scene, and then he cuts to something else, and that way you can pack a lot more into ninety minutes. Uh, and um, I think with evil with the Evil Dead, it's even too quick sometimes. Like there's a scene where Scotty jabs the the skull dagger into a deadite, and like I didn't even see him come up behind the deadite. Like it was just like he's there. You know no, that yeah. shot is wrong. I saw that shot tonight. I'm like, what is? Because I was rewatching bits of it, and I was like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. I can't understand what just happened there. Victor, I yeah. found I found myself rewinding things when I was watching that first movie. I was like, wait, I feel like I missed something. I've got to go back. And then I was like, well, I didn't really miss much, but there was that split second when something happened. And yeah, there's suddenly a bookcase uh, down on Ash. And <laughs> there's a... I know. Well, it gives it longevity, so you can see it multiple mm. times. That yeah. bookcase part is funny, and that's what I like about Raimi. He's like, you're right. Like, somebody hits into the wall, and then they fall down, and then it's clearly he just let that bookcase fall in the back of Bruce Campbell's head. Yeah. Like, that is exactly what <laughs> happened. And it slams into his head, and he's like, it falls down. And, of course, Evil Dead 2, they have the, the scenes of the dead ice, like, throwing people up so their heads get, they go into the light bulb and literally get shocked, like you would see in, like, a in a cartoon or something. Um, right. And... And Victor, I'm pretty much like you. I've only seen these two films probably two or three times. I haven't seen them a ton over the years. And it's been a while since I've seen them. And I've always had that um, back and forth of like, I think I like the Evil Dead better. I think it's the one that I like better. Um, but this time there was no question for me when I popped on Evil Dead 2 today. And, you know, I had watched the Evil Dead last week. I was like, no, I, do, I like the Evil Dead or I like Evil Dead 2 better. 
Um, and I don't know what it is about it. It's just a vibe or a feeling. I feel like that movie has the perfect tone, even though the tone is kind of all over the place. It does. The reins are like that. The that the training wheels are off, and you're just careening down a hill. Like yeah. Um, Yep, exactly. It's one of my all-time favorite horror movies because because I am a I am a horror comedy guy, but what I find a lot of times is what you get is people will take a comedy plot and throw a little bit of horror in it or or horror or genre tropes into the film and say, "Oh, here's your horror comedy." This is a horror this is a horror film that the moments that are funny are because they're twisting this horror premise just enough that you're like, well, that's absurd. Like, why Why would yeah. that happen in the midst of all this blood and gore and stuff like that? But, <laughs> um, the you know, even him making the chainsaw arm and everything in this is just so cool and so original. And, and it was funny. I was reading Roger Ebert's review of it because he gave it a positive review, and he he made a good point. And he, he said almost like what you said, uh, Victor, oh, they, he used it to make all, all really a derogatory point. But he was saying there's so, the movie's so dense and full of ideas and it moves so quickly that after a while it just starts to recycle itself. <laughs> so, which is <laughs> technically true, but I was okay with that recycling. So the la- his point was the like last 30 minutes are like not as inventive, or they might be as inventive, but they're not as fresh as the first like 45. And I, his review of Army of Darkness was, I think, even less less uh uh positive but he said well hey you know it all seems very repetitive but if you're 14 you know you probably haven't seen evil dead 2 so it probably seems breathtakingly original yeah <laughs> but uh he he was he was like going out there and he's like well i think the chainsaw arm is a reference to taxi driver <laughs> to travis bickle's weapon i'm like wow that is that's that's wild thinking a little bit yeah but um I, I love it. To me, this is a 10, and I love that Ash is kind of brought front and center. But he's also, you know, in the first movie, he's more your conventional sort of hero. He's, you know, he's not like a dolt. And in Evil Dead 2, they're starting to kind of put those elements in of, like, he's he's a goofball. But then he can be, like, avenging Ash. And, in fact, that scene we were talking about where he's doing the squats and laughing with the animals and he's clearly lost his mind and his girlfriend and everything. <laughs> the minute he hears a noise out that's outside, he suddenly becomes serious and shoots the shotgun, like just blows a hole in the door one second after he was dancing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yeah, one thing I've, I've noticed also is the, the amount of blood that's used is in ever, it's oh, in yeah. like increasing in exponential amounts yep. as you go like chronologically up the up the evil dead ladder so beautiful in this one yeah. like it's literally like the way it when it's spurting from the walls it's like you're looking at like a salvador dali painting or something <laughs> at certain scenes of evil dead too it's yeah. crazy it comes out of the cellar there later in the movie yeah. and just out of nowhere seemingly just, <laughs> just and, it, and, and then it like <laughs> then it retracts at one point it just like all goes back and he's like standing there like wait what right yeah, but yeah, I I also have to give it a ten. I mean, if I could get it, give it higher than a ten for for all those solo scenes that Bruce did, I would. But uh, yeah, it's perfect. You 10. could do a Spinal Tap and give it an eleven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't should have gotten an Academy Award for that. You know, I don't give very many tens, but um, for me, this is a ten, and it, I think it solidified it today. Um, I bumped up my letterbox score a notch, so yeah, it's a ten. And then somebody out there was like, "Hey, what if we made an made an Evil Dead movie that kids could watch?" <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and although somehow it's still rated R. 
and then we have Army of Darkness, which was the first movie I saw. And you know, to get you without getting into too much of the behind the scenes with the financial things, it's like I think they had even more issues because this is now at Universal, right? And mm. they basically have to reshoot everything. And then it's wild because now Linda is suddenly like Bridget Fonda, but but being Bridget Fonda, she has even less screen time than the previous actresses, <laughs> right? There is a lot of nostalgia for me with this. But what I love is, uh, while I was a horror fan at this time, I was probably even more a fantasy and a sci-fi guy. And there's a sensibility in Army of Darkness that that Raimi kind of demonstrates. And it reminds me a lot of Joe Dante, where it's like Army of Darkness almost feels like you fell asleep watching like seven different channels of late night television. And then the (laughs) dream you had was Army of Darkness because... And there's a lot of movies in the 90s that are like that. I'm learning as I go back through this with Trey that, like, that opening scene where you just see them trudging through the... And they get the DeLuca music is in full blast again. And they're these they're chained together. And it's like you're watching Spartacus <laughs> or something. And there's dust everywhere. And he's like, I am Ash and I'm a slave. It's like, what a weird beginning to yeah. that movie compared to the others. I kind of love how tonally it's so weird. But within five minutes, you're back in the cabin. There's the Necronomicon. And I... I don't know. I feel like, again, they're kind of blended in my head, even though I've watched them all. It is the the Naram D'Amato or whatever. It's called that again in Evil Dead Rise, isn't it? And I think, if not, it's definitely called that in, in Evil Dead, the 2013 film. Yes. But I didn't hear Necronomicon in either one of those. Is the Necronomicon solely sort of Ar- uh, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and Ash versus the Evil Dead? I think so. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine legally what happened was the... You know, Lovecraft uh, created the Necronomicon uh, mm-hmm. in one of his early works, and that may have passed into the public domain in between Evil Dead or The Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, uh, and that's why they used it. But um, you know, it 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 they definitely lift a lot from Lovecraft's descriptions of the book and how it's you know connected to insects and. All that stuff. Like, there's little touches in later movies that kind of allude to that. Yeah, definitely here because at one point there's three books and one one of them flies. But as you're we, watching this, it, it, it you the humor is there, but also there's that weird like idea that pop culture has just seeped into every bit of this. Because like I remember the, the 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 most shocking moment for my dad and I in the theater was when he. Go, when they tell him the bo- the words that are needed to put the demons back in. So basic plot in this one, you do have Ash, uh, Evil Dead 2 sort of references that, you know, they're looking through the book and Ash has this moment where he says he feels like something walked over his grave because he sees an image of the chosen hero standing in the midst of all these knights holding something in his hand. He doesn't realize that's a chainsaw arm and it's him. And then film ends with him getting sucked into this portal and ending up, you know, fighting the deadites in medieval times. And he's the, which I thought was such an awesome ending, you know, because he hates it. He's like, what? <laughs> what am I doing here? And he's like, no. And, uh, and the ca- camera pulls back, revealing pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool shot. And then Army of Darkness kind of goes on from there. And it really, Army of Darkness is pretty much full-blown medieval, like a send-up of medieval fantasy movies, you know, in the best yeah. possible way. But then there's all these moments. There's dialogue that Bruce Campbell has that are lifted right out of, like, old war films and, like, movies from the 40s and whatever Sam Raimi was watching on television. <laughs> Not to mention the stop-motion skeleton scenes are basically full-blown, like, Ray Harryhausen-style and then you get that moment when he's when when uh, uh, 
the the, the wizard gives him the words to say, and <laughs> it's uh, you know it's Klaatu Barada Nikto. I'm like, and my dad and I are both like, those that's that's what you that's how you uh you uh, summon Gort the robot right. from the day the Earth stood still, and they just go with <laughs> it. You know, Campbell <laughs> seems to be like a, a nerd, and he would know this stuff, but he doesn't even flinch at it. He's like, in fact, he can't remember it. <laughs> Well, speaking of all the words and the phrases, I had this idea in my head for some reason that there was some kind of con- continuity there because those were the ones I remember, Nathan. And there's no rhyme or reason to any of this Latin that's thrown in any of these films across it. I feel like it's just like all over the place. And I don't know why I had that in my head that there was some kind of consistency with that. <laughs> I love all the beards in this movie, too, because they're all just sort of like tacked on, like... Ian Abercrombie, who's the wizard. <laughs> and I love this because my kids were watching like one of the Garfield movies and Ian Abercrombie was like the the butler and my uh, daughter is like, look, that's the wizard from the Army of Darkness. I'm like, good, good for you. <laughs> now stop watching yeah. Garfield. <laughs> right. Yeah, Mr. Pitt from yeah. uh, Seinfeld. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's great though. Um, yeah, Army of Darkness uh, definitely has the zaniness and yeah, it's a combination... It's it's a really soft R, like um, you know, yeah. uh, it's it's definitely okay to show your girlfriend if you want to have a fun date uh, as a first foray into the yeah. Evil Dead universe. And it, it is a good training wheels horror too, because nothing in it is very scary. Ash is sort of like you kind of get behind him because he's so like the scenes where he fights the deadites are like the hero fight scenes. You know what I mean? Like he's down in the pit fighting him. They're exciting. And the the when the limbs get detached, they're not they're 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 less plausible than the limbs getting cut off in in A New Hope. You know what I mean? Like when <laughs> when Obi Wan cuts the arm off in like Los uh, in Mos Eisley, that scene is is more convincing than the scene when he cuts that hand off and it flies up and lands latches onto someone's face. And uh, <laughs> I think there's a point when one of the characters reassembles itself, and it's for all the world. I am certain that Raimi just used like cardboard cutout pieces that sort of like. <laughs> pull themselves back together on purpose in some scenes like there's a scene when 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 a character sort of splits into two and he's referencing like some really bad 50s movie where he scratches his arm and looks down and sees the eye like looking up out of his like his shirt that's a direct reference from from another horror movie from the 50s i can't think of the title but uh i lord knows that when monster vision used to be on tnt they would show that scene that whole black and white scene enough but Campbell is off the chain in this. I mean, there's scenes where there's three or four Campbell, little Campbells running around attacking the larger one. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, well, you only have to pay him once, so why shouldn't we make multiple ones? <laughs> you know, probably Randy probably said that direct <laughs> thing to him yeah. at, at some point. But I think one of my favorite scenes is the scene when, like, when they when he's finally got himself together and he's going to lead the revolt, and he's he like. He's training them. So he's breaking out like his old science textbooks, whatever he's got in the trunk of the car. So he's teaching them like fighting moves from some old martial arts film that he watched on television. <laughs> but Yeah, fighting fighting moves from uh from TV and um chemistry via chemistry one oh one book that's uh in in the old trusty seventy three Oldsmobile eighty eight. Which I love the scene where it just falls from the sky. It's just like crashes down and uh, of course the boomstick and all there's so many great lines i mean the movie campbell owns this one like from beginning to end and i was a little bit surprised that the one two of this and 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 uh briscoe county didn't make him a star like when in his in his prime you know yep but such as it is every, they, every he got there eventually in a sense 
Yeah, um, no, he's definitely uh, he's he's got the cool. Uh, you know, my my old roommate Bruce used to say, not not Bruce Campbell, um, <laughs> but uh, he used to say that Bruce Campbell hasn't made because you know he's I don't know anymore, but um, he used to be completely unknown outside of conventions and then when he goes to a convention he could be a famous superstar you know everybody hail to the king for for a day but then the paparazzi (laughs) don't follow you (laughs) right it's the best of both worlds and you know the one thing i want to say about this is there are like 35 different versions of this movie out there on like various you know uh dvd there were like 10 dvd versions back in the day and i remember one that one of my roommates had was kind of gross because it was like the necro. It was cool in theory. It was a Necronomicon, so it had like a rubbery texture. And it, it, the the Book of the Dead was the out the exterior of it. Might have been Evil Dead too. Actually, I'm not sure if it was Army of Darkness. Whichever one it was, the problem was it smelled like a rubber fire. Like it smelled <laughs> awful. Like and, it, and I'm like, I think your movie is literally rotting. I don't. I'm not, I'm not certain, but I not that might be made out of human flesh, and you might need to get rid of it. But uh, our, but on I on the more recent 4K that released, and I'd seen it in the past, you know, that Raimi does have a version where the ending is very different from the ending that got released in theaters. There are, have you guys seen the original ending? Yeah, yeah, that sort of involves like, um, you know, it, it's like the Rip Van Winkle ending where Ash right. ends up in the far flung future. But and 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 I and they Raimi and and, and Campbell say they like that because they just like torturing Ash, so they like that he's like in this horrible place at the very end of the movie. But I don't know how you guys feel, but maybe because I first saw it this way, I think the S Mart ending is spot on, like the way it should be. Yeah, I yes. like that ending too. Me too. The other thing that I I like, or just like knowing the fact that because of that scene in Japan, this was released as Mister Supermarket. So, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that makes sense. That's like that's kind of a fun thing to know. But I think at this point, when it switch swaps, because we'll talk, we'll, we'll go to the remake. But uh, oh, my rating on this one, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of nostalgia. Um, I, I, I'm kind of I'm a nine on this one too. I think that's what I rated Trey when we. We reviewed it on on your show uh, as part of the '92. But what are your what are your ratings on this one? Gosh, it's so fun to watch. Um, I guess I, I guess I give it an eight point five. Yeah, I feel like movie wise, it's an eight point five. But I've seen this movie probably like three times as many times as any of the rest of the movies. So yeah. it gets it's, an it's extra better, half. It's better than any other eight point five movie out there. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe it's a nine. I'm just saying. Anyway, Trey, what do you give it? Yeah, I'm going to be the low man on this one and coming in at an eight. I think I do love the movie and have some nostalgia with it, but I think it's just the the tone and the one-liners become a little too much for me at some point. It's but. really thin plot-wise. It's extraordinarily yeah. <laughs> thin plot-wise. It's, it's all about the energy and the, like, the goofiness. And I do think it helps a lot if you're like, the more familiar you are with bad television, I think the better this movie is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so from there, really, that's, you know, that's all the Evil Dead that there is for a while. There's a video game at some point. And then, you know, I think in 92, when it comes out, it still hasn't developed that cult following that it sort of starts to... to Gain. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking maybe through like the you know the late '90s is when we start to really see it. Um, you know, people are talking about Lamar. That's probably uh, in part because of the internet. You know, um, mm-hmm. now everybody who thought that these movies 
that we all loved, you know, that we were loving them sort of in a, in a bubble or with just a small group of friends, you know, that we would talk about then suddenly realizing, Oh no, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell's online and, 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 and telling everyone like, stop talking about the evil dead. I want to do other things. But (laughs) at a certain point there, he's hadn't, hadn't fully embraced it, but we move forward, you know, eventually when we finally get this remake, it's 2013 and and that's I think this remake has been talked about for a while actually because there was a moment I want to say in the early two thousands where there seemed to be a possibility that maybe Bruce Campbell was going to come back and do it and they were talking about it and then it kind of like didn't obviously happen and then we got the remake uh, again twenty thirteen is Fetty Alvarez uh, it was his directorial debut they picked uh, I think that. Ramey picked him up because of a short film that he had, or maybe a couple short films he'd done, but I remember there was one, and I want to say it was like a robot invasion or something. It was done like a, a classic <laughs> monster movie invasion. I don't know if you guys have seen the short film, but it was pretty cool, but you could see the energy and stuff in that film that Ramey was responding to when he when he hired Alvarez. And I, you know, I I didn't have a lot of expectation for it because when the trailers came out, I was like, this looks cool. It's definitely like harkening back to a more serious tone. But do I really want... At this point, I felt like the identity of the Evil Dead was really in comedy and like crazy off-the-wall energy. And I'm sort of like, how am I going to respond to a a, a movie where Raimi's like identity was so tied up in it? You know what I mean? Because... When even later, when he does like Spider Man Two, and there's that scene where Doc Ock's arms come alive and like throttle those people. I mean, that is pure like an Evil Dead moment to the point that someone grabs the bone saw right and like lifts it up mm-hmm. and tries to cut the arms. And but what's what's weird and strange about this is Evil Dead, this one comes out 2013. He comes out. I thought it was almost right at my birthday. It must have been like April 4th or April 5th. I saw it like a day after my birthday. And I, ironically, too, I want to say that like on my way home from the theater, I remember turning the radio on hearing that Roger Ebert died. It was a weird thing to connect with this, mm-hmm. but I remember that. And But at the, the time this film was in theaters, may, it, it, either right at this moment or a little later this month in March in 2013, Sam Raimi has Oz the Great and Powerful. It's like, what a weird comparison mm. right here's the evil dead movies out and and Raimi's doing this like pg like disney movie that honestly is so homogenized that in certain places doesn't feel like Raimi. but if have you guys either one of you guys seen that movie yeah no i haven't actually maybe it was because i just saw it after this but the last half of oz the great and powerful that involves you know oz as sort of a con man who's who's sucked into uh into the land of oz right. and uh, the the, uh, the guy who's playing him, who is it? It's um, it's uh, Franco, James Franco. Franco, Franco. yeah. He yeah. is kind of a lout, but the last half of the movie is him taking all of his sorcery stuff that he knows from from doing actual science related stuff in the real world, and he's he's the the guy that's going to leave, and he's not going to help them. And oh, please save the kingdom against this evil witch. And so, what does he do? The last half is Army of Darkness. Like it's yeah. down the line, exactly like Army of Darkness, except not fun. Uh, so it was just weird. <laughs> it's like okay, the same time that someone else remade the actual Evil Dead, Sam Raimi is remaking Army of Darkness in a bland Disney film, but with a lot of CGI. So uh, maybe I'm being too hard in that movie, but I remember almost nothing about it except for that. Um, Evil Dead. This, 
I remember sitting there in the theater and it's starting. And the first thing I noted about it, I mean, at base, at basic level, the plot is essentially the same pieces, meaning uh, when we finally get into it, there's an opening I'll talk about in a moment. But when we get into it, we have a group of people. Uh, I want to say just about the same breakdown of people, right? There's uh, there are five in total. Um, in this one, you've got a brother and a sister. It's Jane Livy playing Mia Allen, and Shiloh Fernandez is David Allen, her brother. Lou Taylor Pucci is in here as Eric, and Jessica Lucas is Olivia. Elizabeth Blackmore is Natalie, who Natalie, I believe, is David's uh, girlfriend who's come with him. And so there you've got your five people. The reason they're at the cabin, though, is very different, and actually I think is really one of the more interesting elements of the movie. But this opening starts out super creepy. You've got this girl running through the woods and then she's caught by hillbillies, really. Like these, 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 uh, it seems like mountain folk. And you're wondering like, okay, is this an evil dead movie or, and it's almost that like you back to the Hills have eyes poster, you know, ripped apart. It's like, is this another like reference to like yeah. Hills have eyes or, or any of the, you know, some of uh, Craven's early stuff like last house on the left where this woman is suddenly like, you know, we're we're anticipating horrible things happening to her, but we don't know what those things are going to be because it's a quake. Where's how does this tie into the Evil Dead? And then they put the sack over her head, and then she wakes up in that fruit cellar, and you've got these really crazy. You know, as the camera pans around, and they've got these different kind of mountain people. It's got that deliverance feel, right? Like they're a lot of them look really strange and and, and and even kind of deformed. And it just seems like a bad deal is about to go down. And then, then the, this old lady is reading out of the book and uh, the girl's there and her father walks out of the shadows and she's pleading. And I think that that scene is, even though it's stylistically a little different from the other evil deads and it's very polished, it's, it gets kind of creepy because she's like pleading like, you know, dad, what's going on? And, 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 and what about mom? And he's like, well, you know what happened to mom? You, you killed her. And that scene and what happens in that scene is a great start, I think. And then boom, we just have the evil, evil dead, like pop up. And I think at that moment, you get the feeling that even if this isn't going to be like a Raimi film, that Fetty Alvarez is serious about making an evil dead movie. And from there, we get into the story where Mia is, uh, she had been living in this cat that that would be a creepy backstory in and of itself. The fact that the, as far as I can tell, she was in the, living in this cabin with her mother and her mother was not a good person. And at some point, David, her brother kind of left her there with the mother. And through all of this, she ends up with this drug habit that she cannot kick. She's tried to kick it several times. And so the film picks up with them going to the cabin for the express purpose of, getting me a clean essentially and she's going to get rid of all her drugs everyone who's there is there to support her and be a base for her and we're they're not going to leave until she has sort of thrown this this particular demon down you know metaphorically demon at this point and the minute they get there you know you get that foreboding ambiance in a very different way it's very it's very stylized but there's a wet gross sort of like uh, vibe that I really like to to the how this feels when they get to this cabin like and uh, Alvarez has pointed out a couple of things that are interesting like there's the there's the Oldsmobile it's just sitting out front when they get there right like is that an homage or is that like there's Ash's Oldsmobile didn't get sucked into a portal uh, but it's been sitting there the whole time like 
did the events of Evil Dead happen? And they're just happening again because that's the nature of the book. And at one point, we actually hear Ellen Sandwich's voice like warning them. Like, that's right. weird too. And they could be, you know, I guess what you would call um, like Easter eggs, but they're built in in such a way that they feel like, hey, this is almost like is, this allows enough possibility that maybe it is tied to the first one. I won't go into the plot very much except to say that Levy's front and center for the for a good portion of the early going, and I thought it was interesting that they have given this character the difference between the other happy-go-lucky characters is Mia's got a lot of problems. She's had a hard, difficult life up until this point that has sort of been constantly one sort of terrible thing after another. She is uncertain of herself. She's uncertain about trusting other people. That's usually where you make a film where, oh, you you learn to uh, overcome this, but instead worse things just happen to her, right? She starts seeing this thing in the woods uh, that looks like a dark version of her. The, the It's interesting how Evil Dead 2 redid the tree sequence in a way that was just crazier and kind of moved more towards like slapstick where it's dragging her through the puddles. And this one goes back to the rape thing, but in the way it's tied to the drugs and, and the addiction it's very haunting and creepy. Like I think the, the, the tree scene in this movie is far more unsettling, but it fits more tonally with the movie. And after that, you've got events that you saw in the previous movies. When I was watching this in the theater, I was kind of thinking, okay, they're just sort of, they're remaking it. I was enjoying it, but I'm also like sitting here trying to figure out who's who like, okay, so clearly the brother is Ash. So we're going to follow him through to the end. But now that person's arm is possessed. Are they Ash? And, you know, Mia is now at some point fully possessed and it goes crazy. And we start to get really violent, grotesque scenes that don't quite have the same energy as Raimi, but it's still interesting. Uh, and I was kind of had settled into a groove of kind of admiration and enjoyment, but I wasn't really freaked out too much and I wasn't sort of being surprised. And I want to say we get to, and this is mild spoilers, I'm not going to fully go into this, but we get to the last third of the movie and then everything sort of shifts mm -hmm. and it shifts in a scene where one character, uh, suddenly the dramatic beats are back. Mia is saying at the beginning, just don't leave me. Whatever you do, don't leave me to her brother. And we recognize at some point in his, his past, he did that very thing. And we're like, at this point, Mia has been written off cause she's just the deadite. And the next scene, he does a thing that is completely ridiculous, but his completely ridiculous last ditch effort works. And then the whole thing shifts and everyone, every potential uh, nominee for Ash is sort of thrown on its head. And the person you, that you were figuring you need to be invested in is suddenly kind of back in the picture in a big way. And then like the blood starts to fall from the sky. <laughs> and I have to say, everything that happens from that point on is as back crap crazy as anything and is entertaining and is as energizing as anything that was in the Raimi movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to echo one thing of what you said, Nathan, was like with that opening is I just love that because it's it's so jarring if you're coming into that at the first point. But when you're upon rewatch, I think this thing and I've kind of gone up on this movie over the years because I started so out. I. I bought this on Blu-ray. I think I liked it initially when I watched it, but I bought it on Blu-ray and it was probably five, 10 years ago. I was like, why do I have this on Blu-ray? <laughs> and I popped it back in and I was like, you know, well, I guess I was right at the time and it kind of did grow on me. And 
honestly, it's been creeping up and up. And I love the just the shots. We talked a lot about this in the original, but there are so many cool shots in this film and that atmosphere that you mentioned. And they just they fit the mood. And I think it is in line with the original a lot more. I think there's a scene later on with a cabin and some fire and it's not necessarily a mirror but I think it has some similarities with a scene in the original and I love that scene by the way with just the fire and the blood and everything else going on but um yeah I, this one really has grown on me and I I think it's a pretty good remake even though it takes a completely different tone maybe um, because yes the the original is more serious but it's serious in a different way I feel like yeah. Um, yeah, you guys are right. Uh, it's, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I still don't really know if it's a sequel or, <laughs> or a remake or both, but, um, but yeah, it, it goes hard. Like this is, this is a very, very violent movie with no humor in it. And, uh, if you're expecting, uh, something like Evil Dead 2, you will be sadly mistaken <laughs> when you sit down and watch this. It has the intensity, but in a different direction. I mean, right? Lou Taylor Pucci, it's funny because he plays a character that I think has all good intentions, but I'm just sort of like, who is this schlub? Like, he's the schlub character in a sense, but he's not charming schlub. But at some point, I still feel horrible for him because he's like, he becomes a human pincushion. <laughs> like, the things that are done to him, it's like... I shouldn't have read the Latin. I shouldn't have read the Latin. Well, here's the thing about this film, and, and you're listening to the commentary, and Alvarez even points this out, and, and Levy, too. They're like, okay. In the other ones, they find this book, and, and, and Campbell's flipping through it and everything. Okay, cool. And then they ultimately listen to the tapes. That's what happens, right? But you, okay, you get it. You don't know what's on those tapes. Luke Taylor Pucci has to cut barbed wire off of this book and tear it out of plastic. I mean, this is worse than, you know, when you order things from sites on the internet and it comes in this black bag. I mean, this thing is like someone has done everything they can outside of, you know, buried in concrete, which is what they probably should have done, to keep this thing like, but they, they didn't put it away. It's still hanging out there, right? But it's it's bound up in wire. They have to cut the wire away. They have to pull the paper away. And then he starts reading out loud. And there's things in this version of the book, it literally has things like, don't read out of the effing book, like written written on the pages of the Necronomicon. Like, no one has had any more warnings in any Evil Dead film than Lou Taylor Pucci has in this one. And he does one thing that, why would you even do that sitting alone? Start to read the book out loud. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where you just kind of have to take it at face value. But, uh, you know, maybe his hand or his curiosity was spurred on by uh, some evil spirit. You never know. Yeah, that's almost the uh, point where there's humor, but it's not, you know, it's still done completely, like, seriously in the context of the film. Yeah, the characters don't even quip in a funny way no. uh, in this. No. So it's it, it really it's hard to smile watching this movie. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I just want to say that like yeah, Jane Levy is insanely talented. I mean, uh, yes. I don't know if you've ever seen Zoe's extraordinary playlist, but you know she sings and dances yes. and does. Drama I love that. Oh, that's a great show. Yeah, she's incredible, and and uh, I think uh, that's probably why. Uh, you know, uh, Fede used her in Don't Breathe, which is, I think that's what he did right after this movie. Yeah, she's yeah. really good in that, too. And, yeah, she's really good in that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy, it's a crazy movie. Um, 
they uh, they do have some cool audio horror. I know I, I I watched it yesterday uh, to prepare for this, and um, you know I love audio horror. And uh, there's a scene where David's in the basement, and the spirits kind of moving around him, uh, and you can you can hear. I listening to it on headphones, and you can hear it uh, kind of echoing from one chamber to another. It's it's a kind of a really cool effect. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff in it, and it, the the amount of <laughs> The amount of blood that's used in this movie is <laughs> unfathomable. Like, it's, right. it's insane. They try to keep it up until the very end. Uh, here's the other thing that I think is cool. There's not much in the way of CGI in the film, or at least observable CGI, you know, right. I feel. And I love the scene. Again, like, there's a moment when it's starting to rain, and you're outside the cabin, and it's when uh, Levy, she's wandered outside. Mia's wandered outside. She's in the middle of, like, a really bad, like, withdrawal moment. And she is staggered outside and she's wandering around the rain and she ends up uh, or no, I think it's she's trying she's trying to leave. She's realizing that there are things wrong here and she tries to drive away. And, you know, on one hand, it's an interesting idea that, OK, uh, 2012's Resolution, the first movie that um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead they, their film in Resolution dealt with this idea that, like, why why wouldn't you leave this place? Well, You've got your friend chained to the, the the cabin, and he's there because you're trying to get him uh, off of drugs. That there's a there's a viable reason why you might not immediately respond to this person's pleas to leave. Given all the stuff they find in the basement and the cats and all that kind of stuff, I think these people still have every mm. reason to leave. Maybe even yeah. more so <laughs> that they've got this vulnerable person there with them. But so I don't I don't know if I buy that much. But the movie still works. But she's out there in the rain. She's taking away their car. She drives it into the like off the side of the road and into this big like marsh and again it's just so wet and creepy there's an old ashira honda movie called matango it's like attack of the mushroom people but uh-huh. um and <laughs> yeah. i know if you guys have seen it but it's, it's a have, very yep. interesting movie because it's actually based off a william hope hodgson story about this and it's it's almost like a parable of like the lotus eaters from um you know that the, you're gonna go go to this place and you're gonna be sort of transformed but it's this wet, rainy, like world full of all this fungus, and that feeling is not that far off from the way that this this mm-hmm. marsh looks that she gets caught up in, where you can feel like the evil just emanating out of the land, and she falls down into that mush or whatever it is, the muck, and she turns around and you see what looks like a stone, but it just raises up and it's a person, yeah. like yeah. such a creepy. I thought that was the creepiest jump scare in the movie. Yeah, and I think. Victor, you had mentioned there's no quipping, there's nothing like that, but I love the, I think my two biggest takeaways is I love the atmosphere um, that you were mentioning, Nathan, and then the other thing is I think the cast, which with the exception, I didn't get into David too much, but I think the rest of the cast all have, give enough of their personality, and you know we're not that far removed from the Platinum Dune remakes at this point, and I think this acting is a step way above that. And I think that's what kind of cements it as one of the best from that time period for me. I think, um, I don't know if it's Alvarez directing it out of them, but I genuinely liked the Eric character that Lou Taylor Pucci played. And I like Jane Levy as well, but I think we've seen plenty from her. You know, if you haven't seen Monster Trucks, that's where you'll see the top of Jane Levy's career, I believe. But uh, 
I, <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> I did like kids. that movie too. Yeah. Uh, joking no aside, t- but <laughs> don't note it too hard. Uh, yeah, don't. <laughs> it's, it's fun if you have kids. Yeah, yeah. I watched it with my nephew, but um, anyway, I do like the acting. I don't know what you guys think about that, but um, and if either of you like the David character, I just couldn't. I couldn't get into him too much, and um, I'll leave it at that. But yeah, um, yeah. One of the only kind of sarcastic comments somebody says is is uh yeah eric saying uh truly amazing when you know sarcastically when referring to something and that's a callback to the evil dead when yes. they're doing the uh that that cool scene with the cards where at first you know that woman's fake fake reading yeah. the yeah the cards are and <laughs> she's like, you're, it's real you're amazing oh that's great why did we mention that that's a great scene <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a great scene um yeah it's um I guess the scene goes kind of like um, they're doing a they're they're showing face cards and uh, doing a telepathy experiment where this this person who's really into stuff like this is guessing at what the cards are and the person showing the cards is humoring her by saying oh yeah it is the king of diamonds you know even though it's not. But then the possessed woman that's standing with her back to them in the room suddenly starts calling out the actual cards, like even faster than such a great the scene, card yeah. player can put them down. Yeah, it's really it's really creepy. But uh, when it when it first starts and uh, and she's doing the cards, Ash says, "Yeah, truly amazing." <laughs> well, and that's that's what makes that scene so weird is he's saying that because he's got the headphones on, he's trying to listen to the tape again because she's just been attacked by a tree and the bridge has been torn apart and they're like, Hey, let's play a card game. Yeah. (laughs) But you notice that that, uh, Mia has the card, the deck of cards in evil dead. Uh, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't notice that either. And I, I mostly noticed it because on the commentary, they start talking about it and like Jane Lee's like, Oh yeah. Why did, why did I have these cards? And then Fetty's like, well, it was in the original film. So, and they're, they're kind of, doing this card trick sort of in the background it's not the same level but so again it's like is that the same deck of cards you know very kind of interesting fun little things like i think they did a nice job of populating that movie with the references without it being sort of uh intrusive or too obvious because even when the hand goes nuts it goes nuts in a very like kind of disconcerting way like it's not funny at all it's just mm-hmm. awful when she has to get the meat cleaver out and everything like the electric carver oh, yeah that is rough but uh, in fact the only sort of superfluous like reference is the one that happens at the credits where bruce campbell just says groovy for no discernible reason <laughs> 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 one imagines that that was there just for sam Raimi to dangle the you know, I think that's how he ends up getting Evil Dead, Ash versus the Evil Dead made. And if that's the case, it was worth it. Yeah, well, you know, it's probably a SAG movie, and uh, Bruce probably got paid SAG rates and royalties <laughs> based on that. So You're probably uh, right. Even though, it, yeah, he only had to record for a few seconds, and he's probably made hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. So, uh, nice thing for Sam to do. Yes, that's very true. Uh, two things that uh, last things I would say. I'd never seen anybody butterflied like a shrimp before until the end of this film, and <laughs> with, yeah. the, with the chainsaw, I've never seen that before. And my, I think the creepiest scene for me in this movie, like that's not like a jump scare thing, and I think it harkens back to uh, Jane Levy's acting, is when. I guess she's been attacked by the tree. She's wandered back into the house. No one is believing her. David comes in there basically to tell her, look, I'm not, we're not going to take you 
back and she's hiding sort of under is she under the bed or she's in the stairs and she's kind of huddled in there like a scared child and there's something about the way she sells that scene it's the only like forget all the special effects it's the one moment where i felt really creeped out and worried for all of those people uh in that it's that interaction between the two of them and she is just under the bed and I think she sells that so well that like and you get you even start to think about what must have been like to be out in this cabin in the middle of the woods not with the demons but with 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 this unstable woman for all these years you know so uh ratings on this one guys like I said this one has been creeping up over the years for me and I'm I don't know I I like what it does and the different direction it takes, even though it's maybe not necessarily a straight-ahead Evil Dead film. Um, I'd come in around a 9 on this. I'm really high on it. Well, uh, I think the script has some major problems. I know that uh, Diablo Cody was brought in as a script doctor on it, um, and I'm sure she improved it, but um, there, there are a number of coincidences that are in the movie that sort of the plot hinges on and that really bugged me. Um, so I think it is, it is a feast for the senses. Um, but there's a reason I've only seen this movie twice, like once in the movie theater and once, you know, just reviewing it for the show. Uh, and I feel like it's a pretty good sequel in a horror franchise, but I can't really give it higher than a seven. And I get that. And I think that's where I was when I originally saw it, like it is seven. I'm in between the two of you. I give it an eight, I think. And, uh, and that went up a lot on the rewatch. I think again, though I agree completely about the script. And I think there, I, I, while it's fair to say that the movie is different and it wasn't trying for the humor, I think that the humor, and if not the humor, the zaniness, like the the kind of wild invention, and you get a little of that wild invention in the last like twenty minutes of the movie, and I feel I don't know what you feel like, Victor, but I feel like if it had the intensity of the film matched those last twenty minutes and the in the craziness, that some of the plot inconsistencies wouldn't have mattered as much. But it's almost so so like. It wants to be seen as serious. It wants to be seen as concerned about these characters, and 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 in this case, when they when they're tried to be uh, pitched as such realistic characters, there are moments where they're kind of where where what looks like stupidity or or you know weird coincidence. It's sort of like this feels a little lazy. But once it's it's it flips. I but I I love. I think the atmosphere of the whole thing does pull me through gives it almost a gothic horror feel at certain at certain moments and i love the look and the feel in the last 20 minutes uh and and everything that levy's doing with mia in fact i think i'd be a lot higher on this movie were mia not sidelined i mean she's a pretty good deadite but you know i think she's sidelined for so much of the film that it's a lot of that backstory and a lot of that building and nuance she builds into that character almost wasted for the middle hunk of the film but i'm still high and i still give it an eight which i to me it's a really strong example of again remake sequel whatever it is it's just that i do want the evil dead to have a kind of zanier sensibility uh to it and that's what was kind of missing for me in this one 
but I do have to give it its due. It's still a pretty, it is still a grueling uh, experience in horror. <laughs> yeah, and I can't yeah, fault I, any. I, I, oh, go ahead, I can't Victor. blame you guys. Yeah, no, no, I was probably going to say exact same thing as you. <laughs> I, was, I, I can't Just blame reversed, you guys. Yep. I can totally see where you're coming from. Yes. Uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I was going to say I can't um, fault you for saying you know, the script has its holes. I think this one is much more just kind of like enjoying the ride for me. And, um, you know, each time I get a little further away from it, I'm thinking, well, maybe I was wrong on this one, Victor. And I think that's probably the pulling of the, the script and the kind of the looser plot. But, um, for me, it's just like you said, a visual feast. I'm, I'm there for the ride. Yeah. So, uh, the one thing I will say, and at least up to this point, that there hadn't been a movie or a, or a piece of this franchise that had disappointed me. Like, not truly, you know, like, even something I'm like, okay, this isn't as good as the other ones. I went to eat every Evil Dead that I had seen to this point. I was like, I'm on board for this. Good job. You know what I mean? And I think that our our reviews so far reflect that. So uh, we can... and. And in between, you don't really have any more. You have Ash versus the Evil Dead, which we could talk. Has, has everyone seen? I know you haven't seen it, Trey. So we don't. Have you seen it, Victor? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I love it. And I, I, it, I'm even though I wanted it to go longer than it did, I sort of marvel at the fact that we got three seasons of it, and we got Brutes, a, 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 an idea that I thought about so many times as a young kid after seeing army of darkness as a teenager you know thinking about what would this evil dead four possibly look like and somewhere amongst those three seasons they hit notes i never would have expected them to do there are scenes i can't even believe they filmed honestly yeah no i know um it's surprising like the what they got away with on with an ma tv rating on on, but the tone is very light and i think people are finally starting to realize that if you have a light tone you can be extremely gory and it's not going to upset people um, that are, and oh, that yeah. goes back to what you were saying, Nathan, with like what order you're showing these movies to your kids in. Um, but uh, yeah, it, there, there is some really, really out there stuff in Ash versus Evil Dead, but, um, but it is primarily a comedy. And the, the, I think the main theme of that show is just the zaniness of Evil Dead 2 with all the abuse that Bruce Campbell goes through in those scenes, those physical scenes, except just imagine him 20 years older and Sam putting him through the same type of stuff. And it's just funnier because it's it's a guy just getting walloped. Uh, I mean, what can you say? It's, uh, you know, I, I love the guy, but it, it's funny when he gets hurt. It is. Was, it is. And I was going to ask you, too, what the tone was. So it does have some kind of that Evil Dead 2 tone. Because, Nathan, I know you've been trying to get me to watch this. And um, Jessica from the horror cast has also been trying to get me to watch this forever. So I do need to check it out. But is it more of that, like, Evil Dead 2 tone? Does it toe the line between that and Army of Darkness? Oh, it, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely between the two. And the one the one part you might like push back on a little bit, there's also an increase in the raunchy humor. Like there's something that happens in a morgue. <laughs> then I believe Campbell's just screaming. The right. words, I'm in the butt. I'm in the butt. Uh, right. <laughs> so, OK. And, and what you're seeing is insane. But it is it is Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, but taken to a far extreme. And I would not at any point uh, while they're they're still children i'm not showing my kids this this one it's no. too it is too uh it goes too far with that but what's interesting is to watch Raimi like cr- build the mythology even more and to bring in new characters and bring in like uh 
he brings in Lucy Lawless, who he'd worked with, with when he was producing like Xena, and she's in here as like a, a as a character. It's a lot of fun, and they give him good foils to play off of, like his team, so to speak. Are, they have a good dynamic, so it's not just Bruce this time. And you do you have all kinds of craziness, and each season has its own sort of identity that's a little different. And you even meet his dad, who turns out to be like right. the the six million dollar man. <laughs> yeah, actor, Lee Majors. Yeah, Lee Majors he even makes a reference to that, like when he's showing him his his like mechanical hand. <laughs> but yeah, all they right. they hit a lot of notes. The interesting thing they do though is. The Campbell is a schlub in Evil Dead 2, and he's kind of a slu- but he's kind of like an unassuming. He he still hasn't really done anything wrong. He gets out there, he tries to do the best he can to fight the evil. Even in Army of Darkness, he comes around, he saves the day. Still can't get the words right, but it, but somewhere in there, Campbell had sort of built up this like I think maybe an animosity towards Ash. Like he's made me kind of famous, but also what a what a jackass that he did this to me. Like you know. Like, yeah. Like some and and I I I met him in two thousand and I want to say it was two thousand six or seven. Uh, he had brought the movie. It might even been two thousand eight. Now I'm thinking about. It. He had brought the movie. Uh, My name is Bruce, and he was on like a circuit. He was down in Baltimore, and he brought the movie there, and he introduced it and everything. And he, he really at this point he was even past Bubba Hotep, and he was basically making like sci-fi originals like in the in the couple years before this movie so and and Bubba Nosferatu had been like uh uh Coscarelli tried to get that off the ground like two or three times and it just wasn't happening and now at this point when when Bruce is here introducing it it's like moving forward with like Ron Perlman or something so I don't think Bruce is even involved at that point and so I, I think he had just grown tired of this is my identity I go to these shows and so he made a version of himself in my name is Bruce that is like He's down and out, living in a trailer. He's a jerk to his fans. He, like, pushes a fan in a wheelchair into a car. And he's, like, drinking out of a dog bowl. He's drinking, like, booze out of a dog dish. And all of his fan, all these kids, there's a demon in one of these towns. And they go to get him because they think he's going to be, like, the guy from Army of Darkness. And he's just this kind of jerk schlub. And it's weird because I don't think many people have seen that movie but it's clear that Raimi took that and turned Ash into that. You know what I mean? Ash is still kind of heroic in the movies, but he's kind of just a burned-out mess in Ash vs. Evil Dead. I mean, in fact, the whole reason the Deadites yeah. come back is like the most irresponsible. We talked about Lou Taylor Pucci. What, what Ash does to bring the Deadites back is the most irresponsible thing a human being can do. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, uh, it's it's almost like he's still in army like the character Ash is still in Army of Darkness in his mind, but the world <laughs> is treating him like a big joke. Right, and he's still at the S-Mart or whatever and I just remember there's a scene in the first episode where his boss who's like 20 years younger than him is trying to give him orders and he just picks up this big box of like halogen lights, turns it up and every single one of them falls out of the back, smashes on the ground and he just trudges on. With like a smug look on his face, he walks for like two minutes through all of that broken glass and just walks <laughs> away from the guy. <laughs> and that that kind of yep. gives you the perfect reintroduction to his character. Yeah, yep. Well, yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing about um, Evil Dead from 2013 before we move on. Um, 
just, I mean, I was just trying to put myself in Sam Raimi's shoes. Like, you know, this is his baby. Like, you know, this is the movie that he went into debt to make and, you know, to start the franchise. And here he is in 2012 or 2013, turning it over to a new director. And I'll bet you the meeting went something like, well, when we made Evil Dead, like we were really trying to scare people to death. Like it was, we, we really went all out. And, and, and you know, Alvarez going, mm-hmm, yep, I think I know what I'm going to do. Uh, and, you know, totally takes that, that tack. Um, but of course, without the sort of inherent <laughs> sense of humor that Raimi has, um, it, it just comes off a lot more serious. But I, I think that the... Uh, in, in the rule of cinema that, you know, the first couple of minutes of the movie is sort of an overture to what you're going to see for the for the whole movie. The, the fact that there's what appears to be an innocent girl running through the woods and is captured by these dudes, like you described, Nathan, and, and it turns out that she's a deadite and the, uh, the, uh, the hillbillies are actually trying to save the rest of the town from her. Um, that kind of tells me this movie isn't going to be what you think it is. Like, it's not going to be an Evil Dead 2. It's not going to be an Army of Darkness. It's going to be a, you know, all all the way out, you know, hard R horror movie. So, uh, yeah, watch it at... Oh, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention was a trigger warning. There are dogs and cats don't, don't do well in this movie. So if you have a thing about that, I know a lot of people do. Um, you might want to stay away from it. Yeah, it's like it was made in the mid '90s when they're yeah, Trey and I've been going through these movies, and it's like, why all the cat violence? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, and, and yes, uh, again, clearly the film isn't in any way sort of sanctioning it, but they do use it for for the dark effect it's intended. But that just adds sort of to the the miserable feeling of the not miserable yes. in a in the way the film is made, but just there's a there's a certain misery to the movie it's uh, and you're right i haven't watched it that many times either because the only it's only really towards the very end where it becomes like fun horror and before that it's just sort of like misery horror a little bit um again yes, yes. i might be making it sound that it's not edgier than it is but it is it you know it it, it develops sad broken character and and these other characters are trying to help, and then it sort of just demolishes all of them afterwards. And I'm not—that's horror. That's the nature of horror, and I think that that's what works here. Uh, and I think maybe one of the reasons I have—I look back on it now, and I have a more, maybe a better appreciation for it, Victor, is because of the fact that seemingly, I imagine, it's probably one of the reasons they were able to 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 get Eve, Ash versus Evil Dead sold, and the fact that Raimi in handing over his baby gets to turn around and make more of the thing that he was good at making, you know, and expands that world. I feel like that sort of balances all out. When you look back, it's like, wow, we have, we get the, we got more of the evil dead we wanted. And we got this movie too, which is pretty good. And an interesting sort of like, uh, you know, uh, an interesting facet of, of the fact that evil dead has so many different personalities and each one of them is good in its own way. I really appreciate that. Yep. Yeah, me too. So now we come to to 2023. Well, and this movie at one point was supposed to come out in the fall and was going to come to HBO Max. And then, you know, they kind of pulled it and decided, hey, we're going to do full-blown theatrical release with it. And I got to admit that initially the posters and the little bit of the trailers I saw that uh, Evil Dead Rise, uh, it it became clear again. I was was kind of waiting to see what it was going to be and hearing... 
uh, both Campbell and Ramey talk about it and talk about it in a way that sounded like, oh, well, maybe we'll be going, even though they aren't directing or in the in the chair here, that maybe uh, this will be more of the tone that we know uh, from from the Ash Chronicles, as we as we called it, and from the early Evil Dead films. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and let Trey uh, set this one up and talk about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Nathan, and I think they made the right call. I was kind of like you on the posters. I mean, the more that we saw of this movie, the kind of um, more I backed off of it a little bit. But I think they made the right move to pull this thing from like a day and date HBO Max release and putting it out in the box office. I mean, it made around thirty million or so, so that's a pretty good, um, pretty good feat. But what we have here with the Evil Dead Rise, um, just to set it up a little bit, and we have the characters of um, Ellie and uh, Beth, I believe, who are sisters, and Ellie lives in the this like high rise apartment building. It's kind of run down. You know, it's um, not not a very savory place to live, um, but she lives there with her kids, and her sister comes to call on her, and from there we kind of get into, I don't want to waste a lot of time with plot setup, but those are the basic characters in the setting, and from there we get our horror and our traditional evil dead type of thing. And I don't think this is a spoiler to say that this does have a kind of a cold open, just like 2013 did. But I really liked it and thought it was a way to set the tone. And you kind of knew a little bit what you were getting into, because I think you can go back and forth on what you're going to get in an Evil Dead movie, especially after Evil Dead from 2013. And I think this made its tone pretty apparent from the beginning. Now, I actually like that first opening scene. I think there is a moment that's a little... um, it's not great in that that involves violence, but I think the yeah. major thing about Rise, and you guys might know what I'm talking about there, but the major thing I like about Rise is the family aspect of this. And we've never had this kind of thing in an Evil Dead before. I mean, yeah, we've had brother and sister relationships, but we have a family and they're going through this terror. And I think while the film maintains a really good, a really serious pace is what I, or a really serious uh, tone is what I want to say. I think there's enough little stuff thrown in there and enough interesting ideas in this one where it can distinguish itself. I think there's times for sure, and I've only seen this one once, it has kind of that disadvantage. I think there's times for sure where it might um, fall into maybe the more generic type feeling horror film. I don't know if you guys think that's fair, but I think they set up a good atmosphere in this high rise, and I think I love that kind of horror movie anyway. I don't know why, but a lot of times horror movies like to be set in high rises and sequels or, you know, large apartment buildings. And I think that's a good setting. And I think with the rain and everything else, I think this builds up such a great atmosphere. And I think it gives us some pretty good, if not, you know, maybe I am just into the, um, the youngest daughter character because I do have young girls of my own and I can feel and sympathize with that. Um, but I really do like the characters in the world this builds up, um, and that is what gets me kind of through the missteps. So what do you two feel, or what are your opening thoughts on Evil Dead Rise? Well, yeah, as as far as the cold open goes, I, I really liked the first bookend. Like, I liked the cold open. I didn't like the last 
uh, bit at the end that ties it together. Um, okay, but, uh, I can, same. I can go into that. In yeah, spoilers. <laughs> same, actually, Victor. Section. Yep. But yeah, um, I, I I pretty much agree with with what you said, Trey. I mean, it. Uh, I think that the tone is um, it is a strange uh, mesh of the seriousness of the 2013 Evil Dead and the silliness of Evil Dead Two. Um, and, uh, it, it, but it maintains that mixed tone throughout the cold open and the whole movie. So at least it's, um, it, it's consistent within itself. And, uh, the nostalgia factor is big. If you, there are a lot of callbacks and Easter eggs. If you want to, um, if you're into the franchise and this is the last movie that you've seen in, in the, in the whole series, um, there's a lot of payoffs for that. Uh, there's some creative ideas and um, and it sets itself up for sequels. Um, and um, yeah, I, I really love uh, like regarding the setting. Yeah, it's set it's set at the Mond apartment building, which is a is an anagram for demon. If you uh, are into such I like word that. puzzles, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's a crumbling. It's it's condemned. It's about to be demolished, um, and it's in a part of LA that you rarely see in movies, which is like I don't know, uh, like somewhere off of downtown LA where it's kind of seedy and run down. Uh, and, um, you see a little, like a prettier part of these areas of the town in, uh, Sam Raimi's movie, drag me to hell, which I really love. Um, and, uh, it's just uh, sort of these older parts of, of this town, which is basically like LA is known as pretty much a new city where it's, it's all like high rises and stuff, but, but there are parts of it that are really historically cool. And, um, a lot of the, the, the production design, like the way the doorknobs look and the, uh, you know, the molding in, in the apartment building are very like 1930s or 40s, like whenever this building was supposedly made. And it looks really cool because of that. I, I thought that the the setting was inspired. Um, now, the, the problems I had were I, I am really not fond of most child actors. <laughs> and um, there were times where the kids annoyed me um, as as actors, unfortunately. Um but uh, I do think that Alyssa Sutherland, who plays the mom or one of the moms, um, was outstanding, uh, especially in her yes. willingness to do a lot of physical stuff, which looked really demanding, um, very effective. And um, yeah, uh, I thought uh, it was it was really is one of the best sequel, one of the best late sequels to a horror franchise I've ever seen. So I think, you know, if you kind of line all those things up it's not one of my favorite films it's probably not going to make my top 10 list this year but definitely worth seeing especially if you're an evil dead fan and victor and before i get into my thoughts would you did you like this as much as 2013 or not as much i actually liked it a little better than 2013 um I I mean it's really I think they both had a really hard load to shoulder which is you know the amount of years that had passed before the previous movie um maybe in 2013 it sort of worked to its advantage because they were doing a totally different tone but in this movie I think uh they really had to work hard to get people to remember I I think how cool or how much fun they had watching an Evil Dead movie uh and you know 
people like us, like we keep the franchise alive by, you know, watching the series and watching the movies over and over on physical media, but um, they're not that readily available on streaming services. You kind of, you have to pay for them usually. And um, I think uh, a lot of people, it it was off a lot of people's radar, but the, I thought the trailer looked pretty enticing and uh, it had the whole, family dynamic which hadn't been tried in the franchise before those are both two really good things it has a lot of good things I, there were a lot of things i really liked about it um the uh the, the way they find the necronomicon in, in this i thought was really cool um and uh and there are a lot of familiar tropes in it as well if you are into the old movies and you just want to kind of see the same kind of stuff happen again you get it like it, it does follow that that form also so yeah and and I don't know that we haven't we haven't talked like explicitly too much about the the, the plot here and the and the, the characters, but that family dynamic that you you mentioned, uh, Trey, and and Victor, uh, I did I did like how that was set up, and specifically this is another movie a little bit like 2013 in the sense that there is some time taken to show these people at a at a point when their their lives aren't going great you know they they've got there's a bit of adversity going on there's a bit of uh things that have happened to them and and the movie is taking a little bit of time to spend with that and see how this family is trying to come together in the midst of things sort of being pulled apart and we see Sutherland as sort of this put upon mother and there are sort of like there's like almost subtle little hints that things are maybe a little more fractured than they even seem on the surface and in in why there are tensions sort of between the 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 sisters in the in this film, uh, you know, as they're kind of meeting up for the first time in a long time, right in the midst of like this is another movie where everything sort of happens over the course of like a, a night, really. You know, it's it is very Evil Dead in that sense where everything seems to be happening in this very compressed time frame. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It all happens, right? The cold open happens, and then it says one day earlier, and then the whole movie takes place in that one day earlier. Yeah, which is odd. I wasn't expecting that at all when we see that after the cold open, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot but of the... Yeah, um, oh, go ahead, Victor. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say one other criticism I had was I, I think they went to Australia and New Zealand um, for the casting of a lot of this movie, and uh, sometimes the accents kind of show in in the younger actors yes absolutely i don't think that's a it's not a deal breaker like i i thought that in the last of us you know the main actor main actress in that was slipping a little bit in the first few episodes um but it it didn't really matter because you know i i just i bought into the series so much that i didn't care uh the problem is evil dead rises is only 90 minutes so i didn't really have time to forgive the mistakes i just kind of noticed them and wrote them down but so I'll say this is that that's a valid point. But by the end of this movie, again, the gore really comes out in spades here. And by the end of this movie, hearing the, the New Zealand accents and seeing the amount of gore and the thing that sort of uh, pops up at the end of this <laughs> film, I was like, I just feel like I was watching an early Peter Jackson movie. It didn't really, you know, <laughs> it felt right at home. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should say that because there's this uh, series of shorts called Oat Studios, which I think is. Uh, it's related to it's it's a New Zealand company, isn't it? I um, think so. Yeah, but, yeah, I think but there's so, a or, short. Yeah. I think the, yeah, there's a short called Zygote in it mm-hmm. that has a very similar boss monster in it. 
It does, yeah. And that one also has has a series of like cooking infomercials where a guy at one point has a right. carver that has about seventeen different blades on it that looks like something that Ash Williams might have. But yes. um yeah, so the the main character here is really Bath, played by Lily Sullivan, who is the sister of Alyssa Sutherland's Ellie, who is the single mother with the kids. And I do agree. I, I think the the younger actresses uh, aren't as strong, but the little girl I kind of like glommed onto her and 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 her and her friend Stephanie, which I will I'll leave for everyone to discover <laughs> right. that. I thought that was kind of cute. And it's probably again I have a little girl, and and you know I kind of like connected on that yeah element, that's got to be it for me too nathan i i feel like that's yeah, gotta be but but i, I will i my feelings on the film overall are, are similar to victor's although it and i've only seen this movie once and i need to see it again but there's a part of me that kind of is more leaning towards evil dead 2013 in, in you know which one do i like better and part of that for me with sutherland is great like she's she's good as the mother up front i felt like watching her sort of be frayed at the edges and trying to keep the family together. Like that's where the, any of the really sort of like poignancy for me came in, 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 in through her character and not through uh, Beth as much, you know, in, in the beginning. And I, she, she really sold that character. And I think she's what sold the family dynamic for me. And so then to have, and I don't think this is really, I will put mild spoilers here, but uh, the posters and everything else sort of give this away. Uh, do you think we're safe? Yeah, let's we'll, let's put the. Is there anything Trey you want to say about the movie before we move into a spoiler section? Uh, I realize it's pro- this is probably uh, premature on my part, but <laughs> no, no, we can we can go ahead and move in because there is there are a couple of things I think that I can. It's hard to flesh out some of my feelings without going into some spoilers. So go ahead. Yeah, the one thing I will say quick is I did enjoy it. It had lots of gore. And it was fun, and it does bounce back and forth tonally. Not as jarring as you might think. It doesn't ever go to the wackiness of Evil Dead 2, uh, but it definitely does get pretty grim with the gore. But it, there, are, there's one scene in which you see entirely through a peephole in in a in an, a door mm. in this ho- in this uh, apartment building that is really like if you told me Sam Raimi had shot at himself, I believe you. Um, it's mm-hmm. got that level of bouncing between the humor and the horror down perfectly. It might be my favorite like little sequence of the film. And I love the title credits, the way they come up in this movie are gorgeous yes. and yes. amazing. And uh, you talk about like a perfect image of like comic book horror art, like to me that, that did it. Uh, a lot of people have heard people complain about the, the extent of CGI in this movie, but I pers- there's one scene in that, in that open that was like, Oh, that didn't look so hot. I hope the rest of the movie doesn't look like this. But I didn't <laughs> yeah. notice. I don't know how you guys feel. Um, I didn't notice a lot of CGI otherwise. And in fact, I there's parts of where I wonder. Well, we'll get to that. But I didn't notice a lot of of explicitly over the top CGI that took me out of the movie. No, I, no, I, I didn't either. Did I? My theater experience in this movie was absolute bedlam. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) did someone read aloud from the Necronomicon? Well, we were getting close. We were getting close because um, there was the normal, you know, talking and yelling at the screen and stuff, which kind of ceased about mid movie, um, luckily. But there were like, there was one dude who I'm pretty sure was afraid to miss anything that was straight up sprinting up and down the stairs to what I assumed was to use the restroom. Um, (laughs) And then. 
And then later on, there was a scene with um, some kind of, um, I'll just say some kind of animal or, you know, critter in it. And someone left, like, and it seemed like they were gagging. So I don't know if they were going to the restroom to, like, throw up or what. But <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a crazy, it was a wild experience. Hmm. Nothing that visceral happened in, in, my, in my theater. <laughs> but I will yeah, say... Me neither. <laughs> well, well, I will say that what did surprise me was uh, when the row that we were sitting in, when I looked down... Uh, there was a family there with like three kids that were all clearly younger than my children who were nine and ten. Mm. And I did not take my children to this movie and they won't be seeing it right now. But uh, and by right now, I mean for a couple of years, not like, well, just wait till it is HBO video. Max. But, it's yeah, going HBO Max. We're, just, we're holding out. <laughs> but um, and there's no judgment here, but it was just wild to hear little kids giggling through this movie, which is insanely violent and and disturbing yeah. because of this sort of theme of seeing the family sort of turn upon itself, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I, that's funny. I had a really similar experience when I went to see evil dead two in the theater. I had, it was a grandmother, I think that took, uh, her granddaughter to see it. (laughs) And, um, they were silent throughout the movie, but I, I chalked that up to like, maybe they didn't really know what it was about and, uh, just kind of got the ride of their lives. (laughs) Good for you, right. Grandma. But the only problem is it's different. right there in the title. Yeah, no, but but it's this not called um, a summer Trey, place. Your, your, yeah, your your theater experience. I mean, this is a really important thing for me. Like, I, I went to see it. There were maybe five people in a, a two level, uh, you know, <laughs> huge theater, and that was kind of sad. Like, yeah. you know, um, but um, you know, there there will be. It's really hard for movie theaters to compete. Especially when, like I know in this case, Evil Dead Rise is going to be released in unrated form. And if you're, you know, if you're into horror movies, chances are you'd prefer to see the unrated yeah. version. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's going to be available sh- sor- shortly. So you can skip the movie theater experience. But I got to tell you, I mean, you guys listening to this, like if you want producers like Sam Raimi to keep making movies you you should go out there and support their movies uh on opening weekend because that's what the film companies use to green light other projects that they have yep uh so you know obviously I saw it for the show like I was going to see it regardless of anything but um uh if you're out there and you're wondering you know a new movie comes out but you kind of like the crew that's behind it go see it you know, um, and uh, and patronize them because uh, they're counting on you to 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 fill a seat and enjoy the the, the best that they can offer to you in in a movie theater type experience, which should be <laughs> completely <laughs> uh, completely calm around you, like just yeah. taking in the movie and its effects at maximum volume and all that stuff. That's the way it's meant to be seen. It doesn't always happen that way. But. Yeah, and to be fair, it normally is around here. And I will say, I went on a Saturday afternoon and both theaters that I normally go to um, were pretty full. They looked pretty full. I only went to one, but I did see, um, you know, I was deciding between the two. Uh, I don't think it did pretty well. I don't think it did like as good as like a scream or something has this year. 
and we not have Mario Brothers is out there too. Well, yeah. Up like well, everything the, else. The other thing is a movie like Megan. I feel like had such a strong marketing campaign behind it, and I feel like Evil Dead Rise. I don't know if you two notice anything, but I didn't notice a whole lot of marketing going on around this either. So um, I will echo what Victor says is absolutely get out there and support horror, support the types of movies that you want to see, because that's the only way um, the studios are going to listen. Money, money does make the world go around, unfortunately, in in the Hollywood sense. And I think we, I, you know, I don't speak for you, Trey, but we've talked a little bit. And I think we all agree that this is a movie that is worth seeing and yes. is yeah. worth seeing in the theater. Uh, even as we get into maybe some issues we might have had with it, it's uh, again, for me, it did continue the streak of they haven't let me down yet uh, and delivered a dud Evil Dead movie to me. Uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. And yeah, the one thing I I will say about the theater experience, I went uh, on Friday night and I saw it just regular, you know, digital or whatever. My buddy had seen it in Dolby the night before. He's a huge horror fan too. And I was going to go with him, but he sent me a message and he was like, Nathan, do not see it in Dolby unless oh. you want to be in like actual <laughs> physical pain. He Nathan, it was like uh, the regular was hurting my ears. So me I don't too. It's, like it shook my seat a couple of times. I was yeah. like, in, 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 yeah, sound was mixing rough. was yeah a little rough on this, but but um, it a good, but it's intense. It's a you know a lot of the grueling horror, and this one comes from this the the uh, the actual sort of oral component of it, I guess. But uh, how about rating wise on this one? Um, I think I'm at an eight, just like uh, ultimately uh, Evil Dead 2018. It kind of I was at a seven point five initially, but as I think about it more. I really did enjoy it. I think it's a fun ride, uh, and I think it's a movie that will improve upon other viewings. I do have a lot of things to say about it, but it, things that I think you should discover on your own that I don't want to talk about for people that haven't seen the film yet. So it's an eight for me. That's it, it's really bouncing kind of in between seven. It was seven point five when I walked out of the theater, but I think it's about an eight with me right now. So uh, Victor, how about you? That's cool. Uh, I I am at a seven point five still, um, but uh, I I do think that it was a solid and is definitely one of the best sequels I've seen in a horror franchise. I I mean I really think that Evil Dead, uh, e- the Evil Dead franchise is way way above quality when you look at all the movies and the series that came from it compared to other horror franchises. Um, and this is a, a typical example. Like, I, I think that the talent is in effect. Um, it's highly entertaining. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, a 7.5 for me is, is a really good rating. So I, 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 and I will definitely see it again. I'll, I'll definitely see the unrated version when it comes out on Blu-ray. <laughs> um, but yeah, worth seeing. Go see it. Yeah, so for me, and I'm going to go on the other side of Nathan, and I will note that I'm usually, the. I know a lot of people will go up upon rewatch, usually I am the highest I'm going to come in at a rating after I've seen a movie in the theater the first time, um, but I'm going to come in with an 8.5 on this. Um, I think it does have its missteps, but I think there are just so many other aspects that I liked and maybe it helped that I had kind of lowered my expectations going into this one because I wasn't that amped about it going in so maybe that helps with some of it but we can talk into the the spoilers as far as maybe some of my issues and some of the things that redeemed it for me but yes absolutely see it in the theater so uh yeah we're going to spoilers now Uh, I will try to make sure that I note but spoilers are beginning right now for 
uh, Evil Dead Rise. And I think we're going to go into depth about this because I, lots of things I want to talk about. And the one thing I want to talk about, just my overall feeling, is I think what changed, because I was kind of disappointed initially when it was over. Because for me, I didn't latch on to any characters the way I latched on to character, even Mia in 2013, and certainly not like Ash in Evil Dead. But the characters weren't quite doing it for me. Even the family unit, like... I, I, I felt they were organic and worked all right when they were introduced, but they do sort of become sort of, uh, you know, victims very quickly. And it never quite, except for Beth uh, and the little girl, like they, they don't ever quite become uh, the sort of like, uh, you know, kind of capable fighters until very late into the game with this. And so a lot of it is just watching sort of the Deadites trash people. And in movies where we've got the, you know, uh, I love the 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 sort of high rise horror too, except that you know, exception to that is Poltergeist three. But <laughs> no, <laughs> no need to say any more about that one. Uh, the the thing I love about the apartment complex horror films, all, all the way to a, a really fun Thai film called Bupparatri, which I highly <laughs> recommend people see. And if you like weird mixes of horror and yeah, the tone comedy, in that one, <laughs> that one, that one does it just about as well as Evil Dead. Uh, not quite as good a movie, but it's good in its own right. And uh, the thing I love about those is you get to see who these people in these other apartment buildings or other apartment uh, rooms are. And I think that's the whole reason, really, to have a movie set in an apartment is this opportunity that, hey, there's a whole cast of characters that you can use as little or as much as you want. And for an Evil Dead film that sort of should turn on quirkier characters or unexpected, maybe that's what I responded to, unexpected characters, the unexpected that happens at the end of 2013... I was waiting for an unexpected sort of, if not a hero, an unexpected surprise of a, of a fun, uh, memorable character to emerge from one of those apartment uh, buildings, from not the, the apartment building, from one of those rooms, one of those uh, rooms down that hallway or on another floor. And you see a couple of them early on. But they're dispatched basically all in one scene, and you never get anybody like that. I don't know if you guys felt that way, but I did. I yeah. wanted this quirky, it's Evil Dead Rise. We should have more people in that building. This thing's almost an empty tenement building, which I didn't mind that, but I wanted to see these characters sort of band together. And in every good example I can think of, of a, a Demons 2 and uh, or even a movie like Mulberry Street, a much more like kind of low budget movie that takes place in a in an apartment building. Every one of those movies has that element of we get to see a kind of colorful cast of characters come together, and you start to get a hint of that, but it never quite goes there. Did you guys feel that way at all? Yes, absolutely. And I, I'll, I'll liken this to something else that I think kind of disappointed me in this from last year was Satan Slaves Two, which didn't utilize the high rise setting as well either and but that at least had more people for it, fodder too it did know? it did um i think they kind of there's two things here is one they kind of say oh yes the building is getting demolished so obviously there's not as many people in here which is kind of a cop-out and then we have this sort of like cast of characters that have tiny bits of personality and they're all often the same scene which is a fun scene don't get me wrong but i'm i'm absolutely with you nathan and i think you said something earlier about the characters i don't know if i necessarily the other two kids i think the the little girl i kind of latched onto just because i think i do have a young daughter and beth i kind of latched onto later in the film but i think that was because she's just in the protector role of that young girl so i don't think characters are necessarily the strong suit 
um, of this movie. But yeah, that's just you've got like a wish version of Ripley and Newt happening there, sort of in the later yeah. right elements. And and yeah, I mean, Stephanie is definitely a callback to uh, oh, what's Newt's head? Just the just the doll baby head. Yeah, yeah the, the doll head. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. She is. So, did you feel that at all, Victor? That kind of dis- like that lack of the interesting characters, given that it's a high rise and you know, or or, or a high rise but an apartment building that that has the potential for someone to kind of pop out and be like, Oh, here's a surprise character that seems like a nothing, you know, it did, it did uh, cross my mind, but it, it didn't really bother me as a, as an error because uh, I just think that there it's, it's a fairly short movie. Like it's, it's around, uh, it's around 90 minutes. And uh, I mean, there, there's so much, so much effort poured into the Easter eggs and the homages to like Poltergeist and the shining and like all these other evil dead movies that I I don't think there was time for any more characters to be developed, but it did occur to me as weird that there are only five people in this high rise. Yeah. Uh, Like, you, you know, either there's nobody there or it should be full of people moving out or something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of forgave it and was like, all right, get to the evil dead stuff. Yeah. And I think it's, again, we can kind of, we can explain away a lot of these things by just saying, you know, like you said, okay, well you had to focus on something over this for my money. I will say I would have taken a few less Easter eggs for one more colorful character for a new character to latch onto. And I guess that's my thing with all of these sorts of films is when you have a plot that's sort of as well worn as this is. Uh, and there's a lot of time spent with this family. I think the fact that the family didn't really resonate with me was why I'm looking at the lack of apartment characters. If you know, and I, it, it's sort of like some of the things you had mentioned with uh, Evil Dead 2013. You start to really look at the plot. Well, why? Because the energy of the film is not at the same level of the Raimi one, where it's like every time you go to look at the plot, Raimi grabs your head and says, "No, watch me stab this pencil in someone's arm." You know, right? And yeah. It, it, they could have easily, you know, had one less kid in the family and just made a love interest yes. in another family that was living across the hall or yeah, something like something. that. Yeah. And, yeah. and we say that, but like, look, at I think a movie like Dead Alive is also about 90 minutes. And look how many characters that movie, you know, sort of parades in front of you. Memorable Colorful, characters, weird characters. Yeah. yeah. Some of them have have yeah. five minutes of scene, a, a priest, you know. It's it's about what you do with it, and I think that for me, the thing that like kind of kept that Evil Dead rise from being, you know, not even just my favorite Evil Dead, but like being like in in a lot of ways, it's like maybe the one I like the least. I still like it a lot, obviously, but it's like it didn't quite have that moment of real adrenaline rush, even when crazy things were happening. Now that being said, to me, the most interesting, most charismatic. And most uh, like person I wanted to root for in this entire movie was the Deadite. <laughs> I've never had that before in the Evil Dead movies. Even when you had the Bad Ash and Army of Darkness, the, the where the Deadite is like actually like legitimately like freaking me out. You know, before she's too gross looking, kind of hot, and also at the same time just like doing crazy mischievous things. Like that has that rainy sort of sensibility that you sort of are like, this thing is horrible. It's taking this family and just twisting them. You know, in some ways, this movie resembles uh, 
uh, Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, and maybe that was part of the problem. I was looking at that and thinking, well, I kind of like Color Out of Space better. But, you know, you see this family, it's already gone through a lot. They're not bad people, and here's horror happening to people who don't deserve it at all, and things just get incrementally worse for them. And also, they end up fused together. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, we're on that. What are your guys' thoughts on the society-esque mass of human bodies that we get at the end of this thing? I kind of liked that. Like, I liked it as a final, like, like I think Victor said the final boss thing. My disappointment was it, it, well, I liked how it was shot too. There's a moment where you see it come through that parking garage and you kind of know that that's what has happened now, but mm. you just see all the hands, like there's yes. a mass of hands walking along and the, and the shadow of it. And I'm like, wow, again, great shots that look like comic book art. And then it pops up on top of the car. But she's got the chainsaw, and I, I'm kind of like, okay, we've had that chainsaw make how many appearances? I love the callback, but the, that was wild when he stuck it to his arm in Evil Dead 2. You didn't see that coming. You didn't see Lionel sticking a, strapping a push mower to his chest in Dead Alive, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. those sorts of things. And I, the chainsaw is a nice, uh, you know, a nice throwback, but what about doing something different? And I remember... That they that that Raimi and them were involved in an episode of Creep Show recently, the TV show Creep Show that was called Public Television of the Dead, where somebody took mm, a bunch yeah. of like silver dollars and threw them into a snowblower and started firing them at the deadites. Like, oh, that's, that's awesome. more memorable than me. I want to see a memorable <laughs> weapon. There is something involving a sort of chipper machine uh, that that shredding that's pretty gross. But that it sets up a final battle. It sets up an alien. It sets up a Ripley versus the Queen battle, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it kind of doesn't happen. Like the thing is just sort of wadded into <laughs> into the shredder, and that's kind of it. There's no there's no grand sort of epic scene of the thing attacking and and her having to fend it off. And that that was my issue with a lot of the movie. It set up these wonderful sequences, and then they were cool. But they didn't have that moment. It's, it's like, it's really good, and it just doesn't get to great. And it, it kept frustrating me a little bit in that way. But Sutherland, there's a part of me that wonders if some of the people saying, the CGI was putting me off. I wonder if we're looking at CGI, if we're just watching her contort herself in some really weird yeah. ways. Yeah, she's really unusual looking. Um, she's really attractive, um, but um, I... I you know, she her face looks very unusual, mm-hmm. uh, and um, almost I, I uncanny I, I valley. First... Even though that's her face, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I saw her in it, first in Vikings, uh, and and she's cast as like you know a queen from like a different tribe because she doesn't really look like any of them, um, and she's also I, I don't know if maybe they shoot her this way or if she, but she really appears to be very tall. In real life, but that really helped um, me believe that she, when she got uh, possessed, that she was more dangerous because she's larger than anybody there. You know, she's probably stronger than anybody there, and um, I, I thought that that worked tremendously. But wait, but, but before we we move on, I just wanted to say, Nathan, to, to just attack onto what you said. I yeah, I agree. I would have loved the the final boss uh, thing to have been more of a ongoing fight that maybe brought that they brought down to the garage at the end after mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know 15 yeah. or 20 minutes um and where you know uh, the um the new uh, you know the new uh, where beth is is just you know running the whole time mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think that metaphorically, the the confrontation with that creature is a really cool idea because yes. essentially that's what Beth has to do. Like she has to divide the family and figure out what pieces she's going to sort out. Um, and, and they're all like, they're all against her and the way they are when she shows up in the apartment where, where they're like, Oh, you just blow in unannounced, you know? Um, and, uh, so that's, that's sort of the, uh, the, the, the final fight is sort of a horrorized, version of what the characters are already going through well, yeah. and this is where i get to point out that what lee cronin has really done here is created a a beautiful but grim metaphor of the irish troubles once again just like <laughs> just like uh, <laughs> uh what was it um the uh banshees of inishirin e- exactly the same thing <laughs> yeah and i, I want to yes i want to touch on that too victor because i think at this point and yeah we do get this silent hill-esque kind of group of people here at the end but I think I'm kind of torn on it because I agree with you guys 100% about um, it not living up to what it could be. But I think at this point, the film was kind of sinking into a little bit of genericness and a little bit of was lagging for me. And I think this kind of picked it up a little bit for me to have it end on a higher note. So, yeah, I do have problems with it, but at least it was, um, you know, kind of pulling it out of the doldrums almost at that point. And it's that twisted parallel that Victor's talking about, like when she's she's separating it. Like the portrait that you have at the beginning of this film is that the older kids, the younger kid is not that aware of it, but the older kids have had to come alongside and like help pull their mom up as this is is breaking apart, right? And I think they do a good job of showing that that this family, even though despite their flaws, they're trying to sort of be a knit unit. And when she gets her arm and her leg chopped off, they they like come aside to support her and like lift her back up yes. <laughs> in this really gross right. sort of overtly obvious way and they just mush together. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and speaking of family moments, I did want to uh, make sure, Nathan, that tonight you tell your kids that you love them more than any pizza you could possibly. I thought that was a very weird line oh, early yeah. in that film. But, yeah. Um, the, they're yeah. not as weird as when she, she, she called them you know, I, I'm happy to get rid of you, like... Uh, I, oh, she you says know, some again, stuff, right? She says some kids. stuff that I'm like... <laughs> and the little kids next to me were giggling at it, and I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, I don't... But speaking of that hallway scene, what were your guys' thoughts on... And I actually liked this because I think that's one of my favorite um, things... For, or one of... I really liked it from Evil Dead 2 was the Dead by Dawn um, call out there. Yeah. Yes. And it made it... I liked it. Yeah, menacing and her yeah. when she's looking. So that whole bit with the I thought was was great with the um, looking through the the fisheye uh, like peephole mm-hmm. there. And I've you know I hadn't experienced when I was in college where some of my neighbors were getting into fisticuffs, and it's a weird thing to try to look through <laughs> that peephole and like see action happening. You know, that's like oh no, they've moved out. I yes. can hear them, but now they're where are they? Are they going to smash into the door? It's a very it's a very alarming experience to watch something of a volatile nature occur and you're you're looking through a little hole. It seems like it's far away, but it's really like near your head. And I that whole scene and the way it goes back and forth and it's almost like what I love about it is it reminds me almost like a scene from a movie like Silver Bullet where they're all taken out by the werewolf and the mist, like uh, a mm, scene where right. people are just torn apart. And you can almost be a shark in the hallway, right? Because it's just dragging them down and it's grabbing them. And every once in a while you'll see Sutherland like leap. And you're right, like her physicality, like when she jumps up in that door frame and she she's both, um, she's very like, 
she she's definitely imposing and she is tall, but she also is very like uh you know physically fit as well and she she's very like aggressive and uh when she she like bites out an eye and then spits it down another guy's throat and he like chokes on it i thought that was pretty that was definitely the pure blow yeah full-blown evil dead moment but then the then what they do is they come back and i think it's a perfect dichotomy of like there's the comedy or the the more humorous bit and then the bit where she is she's singing that song to draw the little girl Mm -hmm. uh, to the door and when she's just looking through that door and talking to her and trying to talk to her very calmly and stuff it's like it's just such a weird and creepy scene and i thought that Mm -hmm. part was very effective uh as well but to me this movie goes down a lot if there's no Alyssa sutherland in this movie absolutely and some of the calm ways that she says stuff is just it's pretty creepy but sorry go ahead victor yes no no i agree um yeah i agree i no i was just gonna say uh the the movie does do a pretty good job of expanding the mythos a little bit with the three books and um the priests that bind one of the books uh i thought the those were kind of cool touches although you know ultimately they, they don't impede the movie or complicate the movie at all um but I really do think that, I mean, are you guys ready to talk about the second book end at the end? Um, that's that's the part that I just didn't buy into oh, at all. I'm like, wait a minute. Hated it. I want to talk about one yeah. more thing real quick, just because yeah, you ahead. brought the, oh, brought, sure, brought sure. the uh, backstory up about the books. I actually, so in e- every Evil Dead movie, I do believe that there's a case where, uh, you know, the first one's the first one. But after that, everyone has done at least one thing that I like better than what was done in the other movies and sometimes it's just a small thing but in this one i thought this had the best or most enticing it didn't it wasn't fleshed out fully but the most enticing backstory for the book the idea it's buried down here and then so weird that like what you're hearing on the recordings is it sounds to me like a christian church has gotten a hold of the books and have decided to decipher them you know, it didn't seem like it was some sort of satanic church or, you know, some kind of other religion. It seems like these are legitimate priests. And I would, you know, you want a, you want a, a cool bookend scene or a cool opening scene. I would have liked to seen the scene that happened in the church when they started reading that book. You know, like this is where suddenly I am not a guy that wants to go back and have a prequel that shows every scene that's hinted at in movies. I like the mystery, but this was the first time where I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't need to see Nobi and his wife uh, deciphering the book, but I would like to see these priests trying to decipher this book, uh, particularly because they really have no business doing it, right? And then, mm-hmm. of course, uh, the three books, I'm wondering, is the three books a reference to the three, you know, where else were there three books? Ash comes across three books in Army of Darkness when he's got to pick the right. right book and the book in this film doesn't look like any of the it doesn't look like the previous necronomicons but it kind of resembles the one that bites him it's got teeth that they have yeah. to pry apart you know and stuff like that it's kind of weird and strange like that i'm not saying that they're absolutely connecting this to army of darkness but it seems like that's possible a reference and i think we've mentioned or I, you and i or the three of us have talked about this that bruce campbell's voice is on that recording and it, yeah, it, it's totally unrecognizable though. I, or did you guys? I didn't recognize it because I was listening out for him. So, okay. so he's actually. I thought when they first said it that he is the primary priest who's reading the book, but that's not the case. Like when things go to heck, there's someone shouting like 
uh, it's called the Book of the Dead for a reason, and like you shut it down or something like that. And I was thinking that's just okay. another priest who's screaming it. Uh, that's Bruce Campbell's voice. Okay. The reason I bring that up is they pointed out, and I think Cronin himself has pointed it out, is uh, he has, you know, there's Campbell there, and okay, he's a voice of a priest, but if you think about it, and he's screaming, you, it's called the Book of the Dead for a reason, it's not identified that that's a priest. There's a possibility that maybe this is Ash jumping through top, right? Ash just runs into this Milu sure. and his scream. So that, I think, is cool, that and the mention of the three books. It does add, a, it adds that plausible question uh that 2013 did by bringing in ellen sandweiss and putting the uh putting the uh the the oldsmobile there in the yard is hey if you want if you want to send your brain down a couple of loops and, and squint real hard you can connect this but it does there's the open door for ash to come into this universe potentially i think i saw yeah. somewhere yeah. and i don't know if i believe this but uh someone said that in this universe or this timeline, all five of the movies exist in the same timeline. I don't know how much I buy that. Maybe they're like alternate universes or something. I don't know, but yeah, who knows? I I, I don't know if I want like a multiverse of madness. No, then, but no, um, but yeah, feel free to go on the uh, the with the, uh, the the final scene. Speaking of that, like that, that's actually one of the things that that kind of made me leave going eh. Um, it, where like before the second bookend, I was a lot happier with the movie because there's a there's a character who, it's implied is has a brush with a deadite, and um, you know from the first bookend that she's sort of in this really deep depression in this weekend getaway that she goes on before she turns total deadite, um, but what I was thinking was like wait a minute why aren't there deadite uh, infestations all over the world then because like if you if a dead eye can hide in a person for a couple of days then like a- anytime somebody survives the cabin or anytime uh, you know in in ash versus evil dead a- anytime somebody inf- infected doesn't doesn't get completely destroyed they're going to spread this throughout the world there's got to be some reason why that hasn't been happening so that's why i just didn't buy the the end, even though I liked the, the I liked the way it's the movie started, um, but uh, I, I was just like, "What?" Like, I, and why? I've got why a that and I've got a completely different problem with it, Victor. Although I do think yours is absolutely valid too. Is I like the idea of it just slowly spreading or seeping out, and you know, this accident happens, and then somehow the deadite's still out there, and it's called Evil Dead Rise, obviously for the high rise part, but you know, the evil dead are rising. Um, so I like the idea of that, of this slowly spreading out to different parts of the world. Um, and it's like, you're saying if they're just going to be connected to the same incident and then take a couple days to come on out, then yeah, I don't know if I like that as much. Yeah. Um, the only, the, so, and again, maybe I, the, doesn't the title card at the beginning say something like one day earlier or something, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, but so technically, what we're seeing, I have a, I have a, t- a different issue from the from the two of you about that last scene. But and I do think it's problematic, and I would have probably dumped it. But um, I would have dumped it in favor of a scene that that brought Mia into the fray. But that's me. But the uh, the time frame has her sort of like 
in the morning, you know, encountering the deadite or whatever, and then going and meeting up with her friends. So it's really just later that day that she does become the demon, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right there. Yep. So it technically, I mean, we don't quite see the full frame of that, but in Evil, even in uh, in The Evil Dead and in with Mia, you don't, sometimes it's a little foggy on how much time has passed you know it's a couple hours there in the evening it, it does seem like it's not a lot of time before she just goes full deadite but you know to me she's already having issues and and she's not it's not it turns out obviously but the way we see her at the end of the film that it's not the depression it's the deadite sort of slowly kind of um coming to the forefront it does it does seem like there's a longer amount of time though than what happens to the people in the apartment building um so that the the, the time displacement of it doesn't bother me as much and it also the opening scene does prove that you know uh that uh the devil is a fan of emily bronte which seems like it makes sense but uh yeah um and i like i like that i like that weathering heights was in there um, i did <laughs> yeah it, it it is a ghost story in a lot of ways that book so i think it's cool and to me that was a cool and interesting and original way to call back the card scene and what happens in the card scene without doing the cards you know, that, that idea of this thing, suddenly a person is spouting information that they really shouldn't have. And I thought that was the creep, one of the creepier moments in, in this particular film. My issue is just the idea that this apartment complex goes through a mini-apocalypse and this girl is 100% unaware that it happened. <laughs> like, yes. 100%. That's true. Yeah. Not, not, just, not just a Sutherland destroying everybody on the second floor or the fact that they're the, 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 that they run this giant beast through a grinder what about the earthquake i mean it's just none of this registers with her till she sees this like uh, all the all the like grody stuff that's happened in the bottom of the of the parking garage likely as a person who lived not in a in, a, in an apartment that bad but lived in an apartment in college and like like you could hear just about every, you know, if my neighbor decides to like, you know, do dance, dance revolution, one, one, uh, floor up or down, I'm going to know about it. It seems wild that she would not notice this giant, like battle Royale that occurs. Yes, it does. Um, (laughs) but yeah, she's, she's a ditz. I mean, um, and, and actually that's the through line of all these evil dead movies. It's like stupid acts are what cause a good point. the deadites it's, to appear. Right. It's not it's not malicious evil. It is a blundering ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, the 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 moral, I guess, is to be aware of your surroundings. Don't do stupid stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> I like I like that. That's a message for our times. So um <laughs> it's much a needed one at least yeah yeah so i mean i think that wraps up everything with the evil dead uh a good series so far and i i'd be happy to see another one and i would be perfectly happy i i saw that uh shortly after this movie i think it premiered at maybe south by southwest and whenever wherever it premiered it was it was earlier in the month before the film released and uh, that when it did, I think that same day that Sam Raimi like sent a picture, uh, posted a picture and, and, and posted it to, to Bruce Campbell and was posted a picture of him. It said something like, get your, get your fat, you know, ASS to the gym or <laughs> something like that. Uh, <laughs> get to the gym or something. So, um, I'm, uh, 
I'm interested to see if that's just him trolling us again or if, uh, you know, in the wake of The Last Evil Dead, we got a whole series and I don't know if Bruce would come back out of retirement or not, but um, I, it was not... It's it's like you said, Victor, I, I did enjoy it. I don't even know that it would make my uh, top 10 this year. I will say that I, you know, that this year so far, as horror goes, it's been building a little more slowly, I think, than last year yeah. was. Um, yeah. So it, it very well it could it has a chance to make my my top ten I think but only that's because I think so far it's been a somewhat uh, more slender year and a couple of the horror movies I'd wanted to see by this point I haven't seen yet so um, but I think it's a strong entry in the series it does it has a couple of things that I really really loved in it um, but it didn't quite as a as a total package I more of the really liked it than loved it at this point but who knows again this is the only one of the the films we've talked about tonight that i've only seen one time so that's uh i think that's gonna wrap up uh a our evil dead coverage and b this episode because we went on a little bit longer i think than we had planned to but i think this was a great way i don't know what you guys think uh to sort of to kick off the show, I, I'm so happy to be here on Horror Movie Podcast and talking about The Evil Dead, which is uh, one of my all-time horror franchises. One of the franchises that probably ignited or reignited my love of horror in the 90s when I was sort of like, you know, I, I was still trying to find my way through it. And as every time a new one has come out, I'm always excited. And I hope, I hope that that never changes. So any final thoughts you guys have? Well, no, yeah, uh, I, I mirror what you said, um, Nathan. I think it's a really important series, um, beautiful IP that obviously has legs and arms and hands to keep going. <laughs> um, and uh, I hope they make a ton more films because um, they've all been good. So keep 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 going. Yeah, I I love the series as well, and I'm excited more. Maybe not as much as this movie, although I did really like this movie. But I'm excited about the possibilities of throwing different directors in and throwing different environments in. I don't know if I necessarily want to see Ash come back. I mean, I wouldn't mind it. Um, but I'm excited about the possibilities of just going in different directions and doing different things with the Deadites. Yeah, agreed. And and I like that... Uh with Raimi sort of handpicking these directors, I think that, uh, you know, to go back to something you had said uh, earlier, Victor, it's like, okay, this is his baby, but he's like, he's choosing people I think that he has a kindred uh, feeling with, but also people I think are going to make a movie that he wants to see. And I think that's maybe what's different than what you see sometimes with the Platinum Dune stuff and things like that is like, I think Raimi has picked people that even if this movie has a different identity it's got the kind of identity of a movie he would enjoy seeing. And I think that's why these last two, even though they have not felt exactly like an Evil Dead movie as I define it, they ultimately work because I think he's found someone who has... He, he's, he's picking people who care about the uh, this IP, but at the same time are willing to kind of bring their own thing to it. And, I, the, and the movie that Lee Cronin did before this, The Hole in the Ground, I think is a, is a good movie mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of what Raimi would have seen in that, he does apply here. And I, I was joking a bit about the whole Irish Troubles thing, but it is, I think what he does do here is give this sensibility of the idea of 
the family turning on itself. That's a serious idea that doesn't entirely exist in the other Evil Dead movies. And the mm-hmm. little bit of 2013 plays about it too is watching this thing, this this uh, this scourge, just sort of like decimate all human ties that you have. Like you know, it takes away your compassion and your and your kin and all of that stuff, and just leaves you in this like horrible, horrible place. That you know, it destroys the body and it destroys the soul, and that's what makes it scary. And I think that that Evil Dead Rise to me, it did bring the scares back a little bit. You know, in my opinion. To, yeah. to the series yeah yeah and yeah i don't know if you guys have seen it but lee cronin's short um uh, ghost train uh, which is set in ireland uh is is has some similar themes with like uh, two brothers sort of becoming at odds because of a a thing that happens when they're kids uh in a a disused carnival with a haunted ride i am so it's, in um, for that it's not bad yeah, it's not bad. It's it's like a fifteen or sixteen minutes long, so it's definitely worth seeing. You can check it I'm out. I'm sold on the name alone. I think, yeah, that's very cool. That sounds really uh, exciting and really uh, neat. And so, yeah, what we I, as as horror movie podcast goes forward, we've got a lot of great ideas. So we'll probably sort of bring up uh, in the next episode uh, that will be probably more of a, 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 a grouping of segments i believe it was famously called frankensteinian episodes in the past but that what we're, we're looking to do is episodes like this where we go through like a series or through a, a, a topic and then episodes where we have more like segment pieces and we have a lot of uh, guests on the horizon i know matt has a lot of different things uh they wants to do and in, in, in segments with a lot of different people so you'll be hearing that and we'll talk more about that next time as we're starting to get things pulled together uh, but I do want to go ahead and close this episode out. Uh, this was our first one, our by our, you know, kind of our first official one outside of the one where we were introduced. So um, that's pretty much a, a wrap for us, guys. Um, Victor, any final words and, and let everybody know where they can find you elsewhere? Um, yeah. Yeah, please. Uh, if um, if you liked or if you hated what I said tonight, um, please uh, just follow me on, tw- on Twitter. I pretty much follow everybody back um, and uh, uh, just DM me and um, and uh, raise your points. And I'd love to have a lively debate about horror movies because it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, just track me down at uh, at Dime Store Caesar on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and, um, don't be afraid to speak up. I'll, uh, I'd love to talk to you. And, um, yeah, I guess my, I should plug my first book, uh, The Sound of Fear. You can get it at Amazon. Just look it up on my real name, um, Victor H. Rodriguez. The H doesn't stand for Hellcat. (laughs) Unless you want. (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) Not yet, at least. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Right, not yet. That's that's when you get back to the adult fiction. That's when the the, the Hellcat comes out. But... (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, but but a weird coincidence just happened. Um, my familiar espresso just ran across the room like she had the zoomies when you said Hellcat. The other irony there is it's named Espresso. <laughs> She's running around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. My cats uh, almost had the zoomies tonight, and I thought they were for sure going to. They may have had them. They didn't have them down here, and I, I heard them pinging off the walls. I'm like, oh, gosh, they're coming this way. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully they did not uh, – didn't make it all the way down here because that would have probably sounded like Evil Dead Rise in the in the background, but um, yeah, that's uh, and and the uh, the the associated podcast, Victor, if you want to mention uh, regarding uh, the Sound of Fear. Oh, that's true. If um, if you want to be 
read to, um, I split up my first book into a series of podcast episodes called Inside the Sound of Fear. And it's called that because my producer, Josh, uh, walks me through my inspirational sources for each story after each story. So you get to hear a vocal performance by yours truly and um, a very well thought out interview afterwards. So uh, yeah, definitely tune into that. It's available in every conceivable place you could find a podcast (laughs) (laughs) yes and it's and it's really good so uh and and trey how about you yeah as far as uh social media i do host a podcast that deals with the history of horror movies and uh that twitter handle over there is at screaming ages and i'm also on facebook and have a facebook group for that um that is my main podcast or my solo podcast is screaming through the ages Um, where every two weeks I do take a look at a different topic regarding a period of time or some topic within the uh, history of horror movies. And I'm also on um, Phantom Galaxy and Phantom Video as well a lot, talking about different things here and there um, with Nathan. And I've been on with Victor as well when we've done our best of the year shows. So uh, those are my main plugs. Yeah, and uh, you can find me uh, when I'm not here at Horror Movie Podcast with with uh, Trey and with Victor, and from time to time Matt and Jackson Rollings as well. Uh, you can find me at Phantom Galaxy, where uh, I'm co-host over there with uh, Bill Van Vagel. For Phantom Galaxy, is so many different pieces of identity. So I co-host with uh, Bill uh, most of the time. I also co-host with Trey and Dave Becker for the Phantom Video. Uh, episodes and Trey and I also do different pieces for the rest of Phantom Galaxy and then Victor and I are our co-hosts quite often on Phantom Galaxy in different segments as well including the X-Files segment where there we have a, like an additional five co-hosts for that and we're we're, mm-hmm. we're we're gearing up to finally record season six we're we're gonna have uh season six of the X-Files where we kind of uh just break all of that down at one time but Victor and I also have another uh kind of segment of Phantom Galaxy that's the Shadows in the Library segment that we've been uh, gearing up for for a long time, but we're finally getting ready to start where we kind of look at fiction and get to talk about books and short stories and kind of trends in horror fiction and then, and and uh, I say genre fiction, I think both horror, science fiction, fantasy, that sort of thing, uh, probably with a little bit of a bent on, on horror because we both love it. And uh, in addition to that, we have a lot of... Uh, audio recordings that we'll have at sort of the end of the episode. So we'll discuss uh, horror fiction and you'll get to hear horror fiction or genre fiction at the, the end of that. And uh, we've got one coming up for May that we're going to, uh, we're talking about cursed books here with, uh, or, and, and cursed media in a sense with evil dead films. Victor, do you kind of want to let everybody know what we'll be discussing for that first episode? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a big fan of the American writer Robert Chambers, um, who, as far as I know, was the first writer to create the whole cursed book uh, subgenre, I guess, of horror um, with uh, The King in Yellow. So, yeah, Robert W. Chambers... Um, has inspired many things over the years, and I think his work definitely 
warrants some looking into. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about that with you, Nathan, and uh, sort of get down to the to the roots of horror on that one. Yes, I'm really excited about that. And one of the things I love is that while particularly now, I think Chambers has, you know, over the years developed the following and has uh no no pun intended there because the books are sort of about that right this sort of cult <laughs> that exists within within the uh, deification of these like written works but chambers i w- i think it's probably safe to say over the years at least as far as like mainstream media goes for the most part up until more recently hasn't been as recognized as an hp lovecraft or somebody like that so it's quite possible that while a horror fan might recognize references to the king in yellow or something like that, that they may not fully understand where that comes from or which author is actually responsible for it. And Yep, we'll tell you all about it. Yeah. Yep, so stay tuned for that. And that's pretty much... Uh, so yeah, you can find all of that stuff at Phantom Galaxy, Phantom Galaxy, Podbean, everywhere that, you know, uh, the podcatchers catch podcasts and you can go over to apple podcasts uh, and really leave a review for any of the shows that we've we've mentioned here and uh we were facebook pages and all of that stuff and the same is true now that horror movie podcast is back we could really uh use your help the the audience in getting the word out that it's back and uh you know what we're trying to do is uh get it out there on social media as much as we can and i know that uh, we'll be kind of re-engaging with Facebook in that way and with Twitter and all those things that all will be happening sort of over the next month. And again, go go over to, you can find it on Apple Podcasts now. You can find it in most places. And uh, please do leave us reviews, uh, you know, five stars if you feel, you know, <laughs> honestly leave one. Uh, do do get out there and we will start having the conversations and uh the community and one of the things we're looking at i think it's uh i think we can all sort of agree that we want to engage uh this community again uh through the podcast as well having having uh segments that are specifically sort of uh reaching out to all of you and and one of the things i loved about the hmp before was things like the uh you know i guess the at your mercy segments where you the fans would tell uh the host hey watch this movie or hey look for this and uh and check it out and i want to see how you how you react to it so we want to get that engagement going we'll have more information on that next time okay so i think that's wraps up our episode uh episode 220 uh reviewing evil dead awesome time guys anything else that you want to mention or discuss before we close out i don't think so i don't think so cool all right well victor go ahead and uh Take us out of this episode, and everyone, we will see you next time. This is Nathan, Trey, and Victor saying, that was truly amazing. <laughs>